0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, NFL Draft Day 2 Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardis. Joined, as always, PFF connoisseur, Rockstar legend, whatever the hell you want to call him, Dwayne the Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, it's happy midnight. It's now actually Saturday. Long night, a lot of stuff going on. It was a hectic day one, but we're better people for it. Let's talk some ball,
1: man. Yeah, dude, uh, always. It's a, Look, we, we got some landing spots today. Not as good, like, talent profiles went down a little bit, but, like we got a few people that land in spots that were like, oh, okay. Like, they they actually could have, have a good quarterback. So I'm excited.
0: <laughs> we got a couple of those, man. But I will say, once again, I feel like more picks than not. Like, we're getting net negatives kind of from a fantasy semblance of thing. Like, I don't want to just be the, you know, negative Nelly in the group here, Dwayne. But, man, some of the running back and wide receiver landing spots, especially the running back ones, man, I was hoping for a lot better.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think overall – across the whole class like we were hoping for better spots but you know this is how it goes we we see this every few years you know some some years we get more lucky than others i think yesterday in round one with just everybody pushing the receivers up the board like the teams were at the end of the first round they're like well screw it we're not taking a receiver now they just didn't force it you know so um the dynamics of the way that the draft played out like from kind of a macro level um obviously impacted things but but we got a few goodies to get into tonight and we did
0: talk before the draft about there, you know, a quarterback, running back, tight end, especially. Wide receiver, there are some more open spots, but quarterback, running back, tight end, if you just looked across the league, you know, before the draft even started, you weren't seeing, you know, the Najee Harris, the Kyle Pitts, the uh, you know, even Justin Fields type of available roles out there for these guys to step into. Maybe that's why some of the value and prices attached to them, especially those quarterbacks, have been as depressed as they've been. So as we did yesterday, Dwayne and I are gonna go through each and every quarterback running back wide receiver, and tight end selected. If you guys miss uh, the podcast, you don't like what we're saying, you turn us off, whatever, but you still want the information, please go to pff.com. We have, as I'm showing on the shared screen, our 2022 NFL Draft Tracker with fantasy football analysis for every skill position player pick courtesy of myself, Dwayne, and the fantasy pros ranking expert, Nathan Yonke himself. So with all that in mind, Dwayne, let's go back to what feels like days ago, the first major (laughs) selection of the second round, Green Bay Packers selecting wide receiver. Christian Watson now going into the draft we knew there was the Chiefs and there's the Green Bay Packers as the two top incoming landing spots for one of these wide receivers but we also knew barring a trade-up that they weren't going to be getting one of the top five guys that did come to fruition with Christian Watson so man we look at this Green Bay wide receiver room and not having MVS not having Devontae Adams there are two open spots one of them seemingly filled by Sammy Watkins but not the sort of contract that necessarily makes that a given What are your expectations right now for Christian Watson, Dwayne? Because to me, he seems like much more of a replacement for Marquez Baldis-Scantling as opposed to Devontae, because who the hell can replace Devontae in the first place? And I'm just not so sure that really any of these wide receivers are necessarily going to be giving us the sort of boom that
1: we're hoping for. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely, I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, I think anyone that says that they're just going to replace Devontae Adams, like they're, they're no <laughs> crack. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't think we're breaking news there, but I mean, still, I'm going to put my chip on Watson over Lazard, um, just because Lazard, I mean, he just hasn't ever shown it, you know, I mean, he's, his targets per route, 17%, 17%, 14%, yards per route run, 1.6, 1.19, just, eh, you know, like, and he's been in the league long enough. You know, and he's had a chance to be Aaron Rodgers number two already. So my thought is I'd rather place a chip on a player like Christian Watson. We do – you know, he played in a smaller conference. He's an older guy coming out. So, I mean, I think there are definitely some things with his profile – you know that we don't love, but we talked about it earlier. You know, whenever you're coming from a small program, a lot of times, a lot of times these guys are older because you know they're not really getting encouraged, getting encouraged by agents or teams to come out early because teams don't know who they are. So we see this happen from time to time. And so Christian Watson, he'll be 23.3, which is going to be like, you know, he's he's not in the same realm, right? as the Drake Londons, the 21-1, the Jameson Williams will be 21. I thought you were going to go
0: the other way and talk about the Bears' new uh, wide. No, story. no, we're not. The, no, we're going to save that one. We're going to save that because we're
1: going to have a freaking rant on the Bears. But anyway, um, so he's, he's older, but that's the main thing that people are upset with. But, I mean, the early, you know, second-round pick, the draft capital matters. Matter, you know, we put everything in. I know, Ian, you know, we have a supermodel, you know, that we like to talk to. Of course. To. No, nobody else can talk to her, only you and me. But she models everything for us, and she still likes Christian Watson. Um, you know, number 34 pick overall. Dom, you know, the best, um, you know, dominator for Watson, 35%. Breakout age was 22.3, again a little bit later, you know, than some of these other guys. Kind of a red flag, but still 2.95 yards per route run is second best. That's for career, so that's for his career in college. And I know competition is lesser, so once you adjust it, like it's going to push him down a little bit, but still that's really good. 26% targets, uh, explosive target rate. The average in the NCAA is 22%, so he's above the 75th percentile in that. So I mean, he just has a lot of good things that score well, and he gets Aaron Rodgers. So I mean, to me, early for early second round pick. Um, yeah, he's a little older, but there's enough things to like. I'm going to put a chip on him over Alan Lazard, and my, you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see what ADP does, you know, with him. But my guess is he'll settle in somewhere for a redraft, like around round eleven or twelve. What do you think?
0: I think that's fair and I think a common theme we're going to have with these second and third round wide receivers is exactly what you're saying like we're going to put a chip on them over guys that we already know are pretty mediocre not hating on Lazard or MVS you know they were the clear-cut number two number three in Green Bay behind Devontae but if you look at the last four years I mean Lazard's best finish in PPR scoring was the wide receiver 47 MVS never finished higher than the wide receiver 56 so from that standpoint I do think we need to keep expectations in check but we no longer have a top Three producing wide receiver in Devontae Adams in the offense. What I think we're going to see out of Green Bay, Dwayne, is so interesting because we have the two-time reigning MVP there at quarterback, but I'm not sure if there's going to be a single wide receiver with an ADP in the top 36, top 48, maybe, man. Like, Watkins, Watson... And you would think Lazard are going to be in three wide receiver sets. Maybe we see Cobb, Amari Rogers getting involved and we see some rotational pieces. But usually like the sort of teams that don't have any wide receivers in the top 36 have a terrible quarterback. And there's like so many parties involved that we can't figure it out. I think we can kind of reasonably expect Watson, again, Watson and Watkins to potentially rise to the top with this passing game. Uh, the question is, what exactly, you know, price are we willing to pay for that? So I said boomer bust wide receiver five uh, to start and, you know, pulling up my a little bit outdated rankings, but it'll give us at least a, you know, decent kind of tier to look at where these new guys might be falling so like when we start seeing you know the Tim Patrick's of the world the DJ Charks the Marquez Ballers scanlings themselves that's kind of the spot where I'm looking at with Christian Watson Dwayne because even as someone who gets scared off from the notion of this wide receiver that wasn't all that great in college but he just tested like an absolute freak uh, you still look at the situation and again it's all green so it's nice that I don't think we're going to have to treat Watson as this you know first round type of wide receiver like if the Packers. That taken him at pick nineteen instead of pick uh, thirty-four, I feel like he'd be going like a round or two higher in fantasy land. When in reality, it's not making that much of a difference. So, boom and bust, wide receiver five. I'm feeling better about it though, Julian, the more. I think about his fit.
1: Yeah, but I think that's still a fair mark. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be counting on Watson out of the gate as more than my wide receiver five. So I think you're right in what you're saying, and I think it is boom bust because we do know he's a more raw prospect. You and I are a little different on what we think about his college profile. Like, he wasn't bad in profile. He, his, his production wasn't a bad profile. Like, he, he did work out well, and that really helped him. Yeah. But he was also pretty good as far as – like, he's not – he wasn't as good as, like, Traylon Burks and some of these other guys. But, like, there's a lot of blue going across, you know, uh, across the screen for Christian Watson. So he's got some positives going. You know, I do think there's a chance that he doesn't start the season in three in you know, two wide receiver sets. You know, I mean, that could happen. So I think there is a, a potential bust kind of nature to him. Um, he's a player that, I mean, obviously we're going to do it with all of them, but we'll be super tuned into what's going on with Watson in the summer. But again, like with Sammy, look, Sam, I love Sammy Watkins, man. And I, and I thought he was going to be a, a really great player. And I, I still like him, but I just, I feel like the door is wide open. I mean, Sammy hasn't been anything really since his second year in the NFL, as far as all of his underlying, um, you know, type of efficiency stuff that we look at. Because it's not like we're just going to place rookies over everyone all the time. If if a team has like a guy that's been buried on the depth chart that has shown a lot, like in their opportunities, like we'll have a stronger conversation of them versus a rookie. Um, in this case, though, I just think we have a, a depth chart that's loaded with guys that haven't done anything. You know, it could very well happen in Green Bay, and what? And this could also bake into your, you know, um, you know, he could maybe not a bust, but people won't get in enough to start him. They could just spread it around across all these guys. We might not have anybody get to 20% of the targets. Like, you know, it doesn't always have to be, well, one guy has to rise to the top. We've seen offenses in the past where nobody rises to the top. It's just really spread around, you know, across four or five players, and it's hard to predict who's going to get anything each week. But you do have Aaron Rodgers. That There's no way to not grade that as a plus.
0: Dwayne, you, your doorbell rings. You walk over there. You look out. <laughs> it's just a kind little Girl Scout sitting there. You're ready to buy some cookies. The AK comes out, all of a sudden she asks you, Christian Watson or Sammy Watkins, who's scoring more fantasy points in the year 2022? Christian Watson. There's just no point probably to pick right. Sammy. There's just, I mean, if... The, the, thought po- know, the thought process would be that in terms of style, he, Sammy Watkins is not Devontae Adams. He never has been. He never will be. You could call Watkins probably the more plausible replacement for Adams in the offense and Watson for MVS. That's my only thought.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think you could make that art. You could make that art. I have mean, had a couple but, of these
0: already, so maybe, maybe, maybe that. No, 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 work. no. I mean, I,
1: I get it. Look, I mean, I would love for Sammy Watkins to have a huge season. I just feel like I've seen enough. I'm just going to be like, yeah, give me Watson.
0: <laughs> it's know? one of those things though, where you know, Watson and Watkins, they're going to be wide receiver five sixes. So okay, if nothing happens, like, like you said, we're going to burn 11th, 12th round pick on someone that could take off as Aaron Rodgers' top wide receiver. A lot of, a uh, lot of interesting questions to ask in this Packers passing game for sure. Did have our first running back go off the board. Pick 36, New York Jets selected, running back Brees Hall. I don't love this landing spot, Dwayne. It's not the worst thing in the world, but I guess I'm confident enough in what Michael Carter was able to do as a rookie to think that this is going to be a two-back committee. But the Jets, I will say, when we were listing the five, six, seven teams before the drafts were the best landing spots, I think they were in there because, let's face it, Carter does have the fourth-round draft capital. It's just, I think, it goes back to my original statement where I guess nobody was going to necessarily have, you know, the Najee Harris role just open up for them this year. So from that standpoint, I don't hate it. The overall offensive upside is not great. But as we say, Dwayne, we don't like three-back committees, but we're also not getting workhorses that much in the year 2022. We can live with two-back committees. At worst, it does look like Brees Hall will be the 1A in a two-back committee with the Jets, and maybe just takes the whole damn thing over.
1: Yeah, and to your point, real quick on Carter, like, we both love him as a player. Like what he did, you know, to use an, and to use one of your phrases, Ian. You know, he was borderline erotic when he did <laughs> in the receiving game last year. I mean, his point two three uh, targets per route run, his one point four eight yards per route run as a running back is freaking nuts. Like that's Alvin, that's nearly Alvin Kamara level, a little under Christian McCaffrey, but he definitely flashed really big in the receiving game. So, I actually did the the hall write up, you know, for our tracker, and I. I felt, you know, pretty compelled at the bottom, like basically say, here's a best case and here's a worst case yeah. <laughs> for what you're gonna get with Brees Hall. Best case, you know, he is an every he has an every-down skill set and they let him use it. And they kind of really make Brees, you know, more of the 60-65% guy across all situations, short down and distance, um, early down, long down and distance, two-minute offense, and they really just let Carter coming and spelling like every fourth drive. And then you end up with like the the 65-35, 60-40 kind of split. A little better than what we saw with Javante Williams Mm -hmm. last year um, with Melvin Gordon. What you don't want to see, though, what would be bad is if the Jets are like, you know, and this is the the trapdoor floor, right? Matt Walden always uses that phrase. I just love it. (laughs) It's like the trapdoor floor, like the thing nobody sees, and all of a sudden you're like, shit, I'm running back, you know, 35. (laughs) Like, how'd that happen? Um, And I think it would be if they use Brees Hall on early downs and they say, Michael Carter, you know, you were a badass last year on passing downs. We're going to keep you in that role. Brees Hall, you're,
0: you're our Jamal Williams, Michael Carter, you're DeAndre Swift. That's worst case. Yeah, and it was because the reason it would suck
1: is the Jets are projected to win five and a half games. They're going to trial all the damn time. You're going to want the Swift role. <laughs> and that, and that, at that point, Carter, you know, would probably have just as much value, you know, as Brees Hall. So I'm going to draft both of these players. Um, I know you have a really good question coming up. I was looking at it, you know, before trying to be like, where would I slot, you know, Brees Hall in this list that you're about to talk about? Let's
0: ask it. So we have this list of all these rookie running backs. I took it the last five years. Rookie running backs, who has had the most touches? Four of them managed over 300. Najee Harris, Saquon Barkley, Kareem Hunt. My God, Hunt was so good in those Kansas City years. Leonard Fournette. We still had some other guys, you know, with a lot overall. We had, let's see, eight. 18 running backs, as I'm trying to dodge my camera, 18 running backs, over 200 touches. Off first glance, Dwayne Brees Hall, I would kind of put him in right around Josh Jacobs and Javante Williams. Maybe that's a little bit too enthusiastic about it. I don't think he has a 300-touch I don't think that's upside, too enthusiastic.
1: But... That's right where I would put him. Okay. I, I think David Montgomery kind of is where it starts to top out. James Robinson had a very unique situation work out for him. Yeah. Um, But I think right in that range of where JT, David Montgomery, and that can still be good. And I think his floor is honestly probably down around, you know, that Antonio Gibson mark, Alvin Kamara, like around the 200. Mm -hmm. Like my guess is he's going to be between 200, 275, you know, somewhere right in that range, which is going to be really good. Um, It's just a matter of how how does he get you know, his snaps, if he can be out there in all the situations, like we talked about, and he can't be scripted out in bad games, I'm really going to, I think we'll like Brees Hall,
0: Brees Hall his,
1: or Aaron Jones. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take Brees Hall mm. in that Brees Hall or Nick Chubb, man. I think I'm going to take Brees Hall just because of the receiving upside. Uh, again, we're this, is something we're going to track through the summer, but right now, if I had to do it today, I, I am taking Brees Hall. All right. In a PPR, in a PPR, standard. I will go Nick Chubb. How about
0: that? Careful on this one because I (laughs) know our Cincy Cincy faithful likes to, you know, support their man, and all all credit to them for doing so. Brees Hall or Joe Mixon? No, I'm sick of Joe Mixon. Okay, all right. So we're looking at legit upside RB (laughs) two. Too far. All right, I shouldn't have even put it out there. That's my bad. I apologize, Bengals
1: Nation. Looking at legit upside RB two. Good thing Hall. Sorry. The landing spot as far as the running scheme is really good. Because, like, the more I dug into Brees Hall, there were actually some little red flags. Like, when he plays inside zone, um, here, I'll just, I'll share something. Yeah, you know, I can pull Only, it Did only. Did you put it in an article? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. It was, me, it, no, it's a uh,
0: Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker one, right?
1: Yeah. No, no, okay. no, 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 no. Not that one. I know it makes our video kind of bad or whatever, but don't get over it because this, this, <laughs> this, this one is uh, – Okay, I'm switching
0: to you. There you go. Knock yourself out. Okay, hang on. We did see some things with Brees Hall. I mean, the tweet I was trying to reference was Dwayne basically took Kenneth Walker versus Brees Hall. Rushing only, like Kenneth Walker was just crushing with every single concept. Weren't quite seeing the same thing with Brees Hall. But to Dwayne's point, fit does matter. And it sounds like a lot of things the Jets want to do match exactly what Brees is doing. So, Dwayne, walk us through this fancy-dancy chart you got.
1: Yeah, so with Brees Hall, and, and again, like we don't want to overweight things uh, like the way a player fit in college, because I mean they can grow. You know, these, these guys come in the league. You know, they're asked to do different things. Some of them can do it, some of them can't. But we like it's it's always better if we know that they've shown they can do it. And so whenever you look at the Jets, one of the main things they like to do is run outside zone. If you look at Brees Hall, like I was a little worried, like inside zone. Like if you landed with a, a team like Philly uh, or some of these other teams, you know that have been linked to potentially looking at a running back, you know his yards per, you know so his is yards after contact 2.1? Missed tackles force per rush attempt 21%. Explosive rush plays only 8%. But when you get him in outside zone, like that's really where he shines. So, you know, this area right here. So 4.1 yards after contact, missed tackles force 36%. And his explosive rush rate jumps from 8% up to 21%. Again, like you mentioned, still not. He's not as good of a rusher, just out, you know, outright as Kenneth yeah. Walker. But we've already talked about his passing profile. But then when you really, even whenever you look at him in power, like he wasn't quite as good, but he was okay. You just really wanted to avoid a team that was super heavy in this inside zone concept and the great thing for him where he landed with the jets actually, I think it's 39% of the time last year, they ran outside zone. It was by far their number one rush concept. So it's a good landing spot for hall. So he's going to, he's going to fit into a rushing scheme. That's really modeled after Kyle Shanahan's, you know, offense in San Francisco, he can really play well in that. And so he's going to have upside from that. And then it's just a matter of, can he stay on the field at least for like 60 to 70% of the passing downs. If he does that, even in an offense that's not as good Like, he's going to be a top-12 RB. And that's why, Dwayne, for months, he told the
0: people, get ahead on it because this is where he's going to be ranked. Let's draft him closer to that Then where he, you know, what, RB30 range? Or, he was up in the 20s, I think, by the time we were drafting uh, closer to the draft. But yeah, these rookie running backs, once they get the landing spot, usually do tend to see them skyrocket. We'll see if that does hold true, though, with our next guy, Seattle Seahawks, pick 41, selected running back Kenneth Walker. Now, I was listening to PFF Draft Show, and they were really being nice to the Seahawks with every pick except. This one, but the one thing they were saying about this one, and I, I know PFF, you know, you can get the best running back in the world, uh, you know, in round seven. But if you pay him a dollar over the market value, by the time the second contract comes around, you'll think he's a piece of shit. Anyway, with Kenneth <laughs> Kenneth Walker, the one thing we brought up was that the guy's great to watch with the ball in his hands. Dwayne, you've been beating this drum, you know, for weeks now. I think you know maybe after we're done here tonight, you might just watch some Kenneth Walker film before going to bed. I feel like it puts you in a peaceful mindset. And I don't blame.
1: kenneth
0: walker film you know it's just exactly what the doctor orders sometimes i feel like this is arguably terrible though i mean come on man Rashad Penny should have the first crack at this. Pete Carroll told us that. It's only a one-year, $5.75 million deal. I know injury-prone Twitter is going to be telling us that Penny's not even going to play more than the game anyway. We don't know what's going on with Chris Carson, though. Most recent report was from the Seattle Times. Bob Condado reported the Seahawks, quote, remain unclear if when Carson will return from the neck injury. But I think the most problematic thing, Dwayne, is that with Walker... We saw the one issue, pass blocking, and we don't have a big history of catching passes. There were times last year where the Seahawks legitimately used each of Alex Collins, Travis Homer, Rashad Penny, and DJ Dallas in a single game together. So I wouldn't put it out of the question for even if, let's let's say best case scenario and I don't mean best case, but if Chris Carson is unable to play football again, now we would have Rashad Penny and Kenneth Walker here. I think one of Homer or Dallas could legitimately still carve out another role and make this a three-back committee. And let's not forget, the offense is freaking terrible, man. So, Brees Hall, I hear you. I, I think he has a great chance of taking over that Jets backfield. Worst case, though, his floor is so much higher than Walker's worst case. Walker's worst case is what happened to Rashad Penny when he's a you know highly drafted rookie and he doesn't play because the Seahawks just play the running back they feel like is better it's a lot of downside to Walker and we just don't really have that ceiling for targets we're looking for
1: yeah I mean technically Rashad Penny is going pick 84 right now before what happened today and Brees Hall is dealing with a back that was going and pick 66 so I mean we could argue that Brees Hall is actually facing a little tougher competition but we also know that Brees Hall has been an every down back in college and so I think that's where it becomes challenging one what you just said we know that the Seahawks are very willing to use three backs, and it's not new. I remember the days due to freaking Chris Carson when he was a seventh round pick, playing with Rashad Penny and Mike Davis also getting oh, on yeah. the field. Like so right. this isn't it's not new that we're seeing them use three backs. So I think it's very it's plausible that we see three backs again. And if Chris Carson is healthy, it will probably be Kenneth Walker. It will be Chris Carson. And you can see Rashad Rashad Penny back in the day used to play the passing down role. Like so, I mean they move these guys all around. And then, whenever you tack on top of it, the fact that you know this is a team that ran in regulation, so excluding overtime, fifty-five plays a game last year. I mean, that's absurd. The the Bills ran two more complete NFL games worth of plays than the freaking Seahawks. Every you time know, so we I talked
0: mean, on Sunday night to review the games, like this was the one stat that just week after
1: week pissed you off. And I mean, think about that. Really, in fantasy, and it's a full season, but in fantasy still. Josh Allen almost played two more games for your fantasy team than Russell Wilson got to play. Even if Russell Wilson had got to play the whole season. Right. <laughs> that's a lot, man. That's a freaking lot in fantasy football. So that's the killer. Um, and I don't think they can be that bad again, Ian. Like, I'm thinking though we projected them. Um, still as the worst team. We put them at 59 projected team plays. It's only one below what, we've had, what we have the Jets at. But I know that our confidence in that one is probably a little shaky because I feel like we think – there's a chance Zach Wilson takes a step forward. The Jets get a little better. I don't think we have that sort of sentiment about the Seahawks. I think the sentiment is, wow, like how how far are they going to go down before they start to rebound? And I think, you know, there's a good chance that that won't be until they move on from their coach and they just make a lot of changes. Um, so yeah, with Kenneth Walker, love, love, love the player. I'm still going to be the first running back. I'm going to, I'm going to draft right off the Seahawks. And I was I'll be about to, to go- say
0: we got to go Walker over Penny. Yeah, you, you know yeah, how I many times we, do we need to learn a lesson?
1: Yeah, and I think you go. We'll see where he settles in, but my guess is this is just a guess. Eighth, and ninth round in redraft is where he'll go. Penny's going in the eighth round right now, so my guess is that Walker, Walker will move into Penny's spot. Penny will probably fall down to, like, round 12. And so if you still like Penny, like, in the 12th, 13th round, that's fine. You can still, you can still take a stab on him. Um, and Carson's free. Like, Carson's free right now. So, I mean, if if you are a believer in, well, I think it's going to be a committee, I'll just take the last one, well, then Carson's your player. And and the cool thing about him is if you completely whiff on it, it won't matter. You're going to be taking him, you know, if – actually, if you're not playing in a deep league, he's not going to be drafted, period. Like, he's just going to be a free agent. We'll learn more as the season gets close. But like right now, if you're drafting in like an FFPC draft, a 20 round best ball slim, like you're getting him like round, you're probably going to get him around 20 now. Like he was already going around 16, 17. Let's talk about where exactly
0: we're kind of looking at ranking him because I was more pes. You know, sometimes I think we, I, I see a spot or a new, a new location. I'm like, okay, RB three. But then you start actually going yeah. running back by running back, and it's like actually he's you know a little better off maybe than I was giving him credit for. And I'm kind of seeing that now to an extent. Like Dave Montgomery, J.K. Dobbins, and grain starters. We know that they're, you know, good football players and what they can bring to the table. I'm taking those guys over Kenneth Walker. but Once you get this next range, Dwayne, guys like Devin Singletary, Michael Carter, Josh Jacobs, Clyde Eversolaire, Miles Sanders, Cordero Patterson, Kareem Hunt. That's, I think, the range that Kenneth Walker fits in. So if you want to put him yeah. in your top 24, I think you can squeeze him in there at the end, probably feeling a little safer if you can get him a couple picks after High that. High-end RB3.
1: High-end RB3 is right. go where he deserves to be. If you're going to take him as your RB2 and look, we've talked about this and we'll come back and revisit that, you know, draft actual fantasy draft strategy here in a few weeks, but if you look at, you know, taking him as your RB2, you're you need to be in a position where in that range of the draft, you're going to take like two or three of these guys, right? You're going to grab Pollard, you're going to grab, you know, Kenneth Walker you're going to grab, which Kenneth Walker had moved up to round six, you know, so who knows? He could still stay higher up, right? Um, then where he was starting, he started off around eight, he got up to like round six. Um, so, I mean, he, you know, how sometimes when these guys' ADPs move up, they don't always slide as far as we think. But I would think he ends up being a seventh, eighth round pick. So we'll have to see where it, where it goes. But I think. With Michael Carter, obviously, and with Devin Singletary, we got other things to talk about with those two players. But I agree. I think high-end RB3, if you want to measure RB2, that's fine, but you need to take multiple guys in that range
0: shout out uh, Cole Bailey. I appreciate all you guys in the comments asking who's left for day three. One just reminder we're not going to go through everyone that gets drafted and who is available on day three so sorry for that but the fact that no, these running backs, the remaining running backs haven't been drafted in the first three rounds is a massive red flag for what we should, we should be expecting them to achieve in 2022 uh, specifically because rookies at every single position, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end over the last 10 years, 80% or more of them have been drafted inside the first three rounds so dwayne you mentioned before like james robinson that being a unique situation like it kills me when i see on twitter people like oh this guy is this year's james robinson you should be saying this guy is gonna be this decades james robinson because (laughs) stuff like that is so rare and i know it sticks out in our mind because it only happened a few years ago uh, but just realize back is truly against the wall historically if your name has not already been called in the nfl draft that's why we're focusing much more on these guys and i will
1: say like the backs, you know, are much more likely to end up being relevant just via injury, right, than the receivers. Yeah. The receivers that are taken after day three, like, in their rookie year, like, it's it's really hard. Yeah, for Even back too, yeah. Yeah, for the backs, injuries open the door, right? So it is nice to have a little bit of background on them, you know, and if we have time at the end of this show, we can run through some really, really quick, like, sure. you know, like a quick hitter. But, but I agree with you. For the most part, if we're thinking of it like starting the season, this player is going to have value or not, you know, you're still depending on an injury for a lot of these guys that are that are going to go after today Dwayne, I love you. I like to think our listeners do as well, but
0: they might not if we they keep spending not. ten minutes on some of these more random wide receivers we're about to get through.
1: So well, we let's give have one a... NFL draft day a year. Like I think
0: the listeners. Oh, know. I know. We're good. I'm not saying we're not. We can go a couple hours. I don't. I don't give a shit about time. But let's not. Let's not necessarily you know waste a bunch on some of these other guys we're going to be getting to. Pick 43. New York Giants selected wide receiver Juan Dale Robinson. Loaded depth chart already. We got Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Kadarius Tony, Darius and then the Giants GM felt the need to come out after the draft and when he got asked about them drafting a slot receiver what's this mean for Darius Tony he insisted again that they are not shopping Tony maybe he's lying that whole report seemed a little bit off you know from the start I think some people have questioned the overall uh, validity of it but man heard Mike Renner on the PFF draft show talking about how Robinson really is in that mold more of a of a 2-2 Atwell uh, Dwayne Eskridge you know just more of a gadget type player he did have 13 deep receptions maybe the Giants know something we don't but apparently man the second that Wandale Robinson steps on the NFL field he will have the single smallest catch radius of any wide receiver out there he's five foot eight 179 pounds Dwayne I do not see a path to Wandale Robinson being a fantasy relevant receiver this year unless he's like just incredible Kadarius Tony level good but I think we would know at this point having watched having
1: analyzed if that was the case yeah, I do just think this is bad for Kadarius. Like, it's like, just everything adds up now. Like, yeah. they really are out on him for whatever reason. Um, you know, Robinson's got a good profile. You know, this might be, be like
0: their Isaiah. This might be uh, Brian Dables, like Isaiah McKenzie.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, maybe that's what they're thinking. You know, I mean, he's going to be, he's only going to be, won't even be 22 when the season starts. A career yards per route run of 2.96. That's the best in the class. Like, he does have that. I mean, you have to count Justin Ross is higher. Uh, but you know Justin Ross also is 2.99, but Ross played less games. Wandell played more. Um, explosive target rate, only 19%. So a, a player that is using much more around the line of scrimmage, you mentioned he did have some deep targets. So I do think he's going to be used out of the slot, and, and I think there is a challenge, because if you do have Kadarius Tony on your roster, if you do have Sterling Shepard, that does create an immediate situation where it's like, okay, um, it's kind of like the Rondell Moore thing with Christian Kirk last year. Like, yeah. Okay, well, if those guys are going to play the slot, like that means he's going to be very limited in what he can do. Robinson, I agree. More of a concern for Tony, even maybe Shepard, than
0: actually someone that we're getting behind uh, himself in land. Next pick, Houston Texans selected wide receiver John Mechie joining a depth chart consisting of Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, Chris Moore, Chris Conley, Deshaun Hamilton, and even former first-round pick Philip Dorsett. With Mechie, yeah, could be out there early, but we got to wonder how long is it going to be until he's back from that torn ACL that he suffered in the SEC championship. So, Dwayne... the Texans are in the perfect place to take a risk on someone like John Mechie. The Lions as well, you know, but Jameson Williams. So I do wonder if they just got him knowing that, yeah, we don't need anything from him in 2022. I highly doubt this offense is capable of enabling, uh, you know, more than one consistent wide receiver in fantasy land aside from Brandon cooks, you know, with or without a full slate of health from John Mechie with all those health questions in mind, probably someone that we're not going to have to worry about too much in 2022 for the dynasty future though. I mean, this Houston Texans landing spot, you got to feel good about it because he has a legitimate chance to work as the Texans number two pass game option of the future.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where he slots in. I think the big thing with Mechie, everybody just assumes he's a slot receiver. But he worked outside a ton at Alabama, so he can play inside. He can play um, outside. Um, I think there's a chance that by the middle of this season, he's their wide receiver too. What will that mean? Well, uh, that depend, depends on Davis Mills. Yeah. We also know that you know whenever you look at the Texans, they want to run the ball more. Like they're one of the teams. I know we've got a switch in head coaching, but it's Lovey Smith. It's a defensive-minded head coach.
0: Marlon Mack, Dwayne, can you yeah, believe they, it? It's Marlon Mack season.
1: Yeah, it's. Never been. <laughs> But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have it just for today, Ian. Um, but with Mechie, look, I do think he's got a shot to easily beat up. I don't want to say easily. I like Nico Collins. I'm not as big on Nico Collins as other people. I see, you know, a big guy, but not necessarily, like, super impressed with him. I do think Mechie could end up taking over the job. But, yes, early in the season, he's not going to be a guy. We'll have to, we'll, we'll have to follow his injuries, see where he's going to be. Some of these guys miraculously get better way sooner than what we think they're going to do. Um, so, yeah, I think you hit it on the head.
0: New England Patriots, pick number 50, select wide receiver Tyquan Thornton. Uh, we were saying in the chat, you know, again, Dwayne, Nathan, and myself just making uh, all the analysis for the PFF draft tracker, it on PFF.com. But, you know, we like to defer some of the expert analysis from our draft experts, and it's never a good sign when we get a player's name, we go to the PFF draft guide, we hit Control-F, and nothing comes up because, you know, yeah, they break down hundreds of players, and the fact that the player couldn't crack that list and you're getting drafted this high, you know, Someone's wrong there. Maybe it is PFF. Maybe we'll laugh about this, but not good. And believe me, consensus, big board, whatever. And Dwayne, like, what they need him for, man? They, I forgot about the Devontae Parker trade until I even looked at their depth chart, but he's looking like their potential number one. If not, he's definitely in three wide receiver sets. Kendrick Bourne's making too much money, and he was honestly good enough last year where he's not leaving the picture. They love Jacoby Myers, and for good reason, he does good things. Nelson Aguilar's making probably too much money to be completely cast aside. I would think Nikhil Harry is traded or cut before too long, but he's also in the picture. Like, Taequann Thornton, Mike Renner kind of just profiles as an Anthony Schwartz type player where it's like speed, baby. Just hot, nasty, badass speed like Eleanor Roosevelt once said. So these 8.25 inch hands like Tyquan Thornton, maybe he is a great real life asset. He brings a different dimension to this offense. They could use a field stretcher, you know, kind of like his archetype is
1: supposed to be. But come on, man, we don't need to worry about him this year. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing with Taquan Thornton. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, what are the Patriots doing? <laughs> like, this guy's mocking at pick 160. So, like, they take a, a guard, which we like, Cole Strange, in the first round, and then they turn around and take, you know. But they could have
0: gotten both these guys, like, rounds later, seemingly. Well, yeah,
1: like, as you would say to me, and let me finish. <laughs> yeah, he could have been fair, a fourth or fair. fifth round pick. Man. He could have been a, I'm messing with you. He could have been a fourth or a fifth-round pick. They could have both of these guys later. What's funny is, like, they're maneuvering all over the draft like they're these masterminds. Oh, we're going to land right in this spot to get – like, come on, guys. Like, with, with Thornton, I don't get it, though. And and people talk about him being a burner. 1.87 yards per route run career, um, you know, mark. That's not good. That's freaking terrible. Like, that's that's really bad. That's be- that's below, actually, the NCAA average, much less comparing to guys that get drafted into the NFL and then you got a 22% career explosive target rate. All that burner speed that we're talking about, it's not showing up in the way that he plays the game. So I mean the 22% is also not good. So that's right at the NCAA, at the NCAA average. So I don't I don't get the Taquan Thornton pick, and I want nothing to do with him in any sort of draft. I don't care if it's dynasty, I don't care if it's, you know, <laughs> drinking drafts. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Redraft, best ball, I'm not touching Taquan Thornton.
0: Used to hoping that's the last time we talk about Taekwon Thornton for the 2022 football season. But knowing us, probably won't be. Pick number 52, Pittsburgh Steelers selected wide receiver George Pickens stopping. You know, what was a bit of a free fall for him? You know, a trendy kind of dark horse, you know, even though that's an oxymoron. Good job, Ian. uh Someone that some people thought could maybe slip into the back half of that first round to the Chiefs or Packers. Ends up going, you know, towards the end of the second. Looking at that Steelers' depth chart, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Anthony Miller, Miles Boykin, and Steven Sims big five right now. My first question with this, Dwayne, is where does Pickens fit in exactly? Because each of Deontay, Claypool, and Pickens have really been career outside wide receivers. I think Deontay, you know, T.Y. Hilton for years, like people just thought he was a slot receiver because he was short and he played some slot, but he was a mostly outside wide receiver. I think there might be a little bit of that idea with Deontay Johnson as well because of how low his average target depth usually is, all the screens and uh, stuff he gets around the line of scrimmage. But he's never played more than 100 snaps in the slot in a season like Claypools have more slot reps than uh you know than Deontay over the years I really don't think Anthony Miller is you know going to be getting that job but they needed to replace Juju and uh Ray Ray McLeod who was legitimately their starting slot receiver when Juju was out last year Pickens I don't think is that guy is there a chance Claypool is on the way out or something man like this is not good for Chase Claypool that's my point because Pickens skill set really seems to overlap with what they're already asking Claypool to do
1: Yeah, and I still still like Claypool, too. I I think we're probably overthinking it. I think the the Steelers like to draft receivers, (laughs) Um, you know, and they continue to do so, and guess what? They're usually pretty good at it. So I think, you know, this is – it's a situation where the biggest issue is we're going to have Mitchell Trubisky or Kenny Pickett under center, right? And, and look, I know people are like, well, wow, it was Big Ben last year. I mean, can it really be that big of a downgrade? Well, I think by moving to these quarterbacks, we're going to see that they're not going to throw the ball as much. And so you're probably going to see more under center stuff. You got Matt Canada running the offense, going to be a lot, probably going to run the ball more. Um, Maybe they can be more efficient, but I just worry, are there going to be enough balls to go around with potentially mediocre to bad quarterback play being spread across all three, you know, of these players. I do think that will be your three wide receiver set because I think it's clearly going to be the best three players that we're going to see on the Steelers. Um, The thing I would say about Pickens, I do like him for rookie drafts. I like him for dynasty um, you know, you may have to wait a little bit. But, I mean, Deontay's also one of these receivers, Ian, that he's going into that year five. And these teams don't want to pay these receivers these $20, $25 million contracts. They're just not down for it. So, well, I say not not all of them. Like, it seems like the lead's kind of split. Half the teams want to trade for those kind of guys. The other half is kind of like, well, here, we'll just get we'll, – we'll unload this because we don't want to spend this money in this area. So, there's a chance that Deontay Johnson, you know, is going to end up coming up – you know, he's going to want this, you know, deal – and they're not going to want to give it to him. And then you could be looking at it being Pickens and Chase Claypool. The thing I'll say about Pickens, man, like injuries just derailed his career. Like he broke out early. Um, you know, things were looking really good. Um, he ended up, you know, last spring tearing an ACL, you know, so uh, and then he ended up still coming back and being able to play, you know, at the end, you know, at the end of the season, you know, miraculously. And, and so, I mean, after he started, you know, his uh, freshman year did really well. He only played 12 games since then. But – I went back and looked at his career numbers, so career yards per route run. And this is not a knock on Drake London. We, we like Drake London, so don't take it this way. But I'm just giving <laughs> you a comparison. So I'm going to I'm gonna give you George Pickens' numbers first, then Drake London, who was the eight, number eight pick overall. Career yards per route run, 2.35 Pickens, 2.32 London. Single man yards per route run. So that is in a situation where it's just you versus the other player, 2.76 versus 2.63 single man targets per route run. So where did the quarterback go whenever they saw this um, coverage for the receiver? 36% for Pickens, 29% for London. 15 plus yard play, so explosive targets per, uh, not per route, but per, sorry, explosive receptions per target, 26% um, versus 30%. So it, it's just, um, and that's wrong, that 30% is wrong for London. It's That should be 23%. 26% versus 23%. So you actually have Pickens' best London in every one of those. They both broke out at a very similar age. Pickens just happened to get hurt. Now, yeah. do we know he could keep on and continue on and be on that trajectory? No, we don't because it didn't happen. Like, But these career numbers are over his career. That's why he went pick 53. Injuries. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, I think this could be a huge discount. I think the reason he fell, if you go read Bruce Feldman's article over at The Athletic, like, man, dude, scouts were blowing this dude up. They're like top five talent. I wouldn't touch it. You know, I don't know what he did in the interview process. He must have gave, like, everybody the double birds. You know, maybe he <laughs> brought a Girl Scout, you know, to, the, to, the, to his interviews, pulled out the AKE. And I don't know for sure. But, like, he, he definitely rubbed um, a lot of people the wrong way as far as front office types. So I think that's part of it. But the Steelers, you know, they're really good about picking these guys. So in dynasty drafts, man, I still love him as a back end of the first round pick. Like if I can get my hands on George Pickens, absolutely want to be trying to do that. I don't want to let him slip into the second. I'm definitely going to take him before the end of the first round. As far as redraft, I'm with you. I mean, look, it's 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 he has the upside if the quarterback could go if the quarterback can make things go, right, we yeah. could be talk, talking about a, a wide receiver four, but most likely this is a wide receiver five with, uh, with contingent upside if something happens to one of the other guys.
0: It's probably going to be a more run-heavy offense. And Najee and Fryermouth are some of the more involved pass game options at their position in the NFL. What you said, though, about the Steelers maybe moving on from Deontay. I mean, come on, everyone. Look at the last few months. I think we're seeing that teams are not wanting to pony up necessarily these game-changing contracts for these wide receivers on their second deals. And Deontay will be an unrestricted free agent after next season. Look, Dwayne, I'm not a GM, probably never will be. I don't know that Deontay <laughs> is someone that I'd be wanting to sign up and a hundred million dollars to. It's in your
1: range of outcomes. You can still be a GM.
0: <laughs> I like chilling too much. You know, that's just that's just how it goes. You say but that, dude.
1: You're a freaking, you grind your ass off.
0: If there was an organization that could just bet on themselves drafting another great wide receiver, because I saw your uh, tweet earlier today, Dwayne, I thought you uh, hit the nail on the head in terms of Wide receivers are not as replaceable as running backs, and if teams are going to start acting like they are, we're going to see some problematic shit going down. If the Steelers want to think that, though, they maybe are the one organization that can get away with it. I mean, over the past 20 years... Antonio Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, Mike Wallace, Antonio Holmes, Juju, Martavis Bryant, Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Antoine Randall L., Plaxico Burris. And out of that group, Claypool was the highest one picked. So they weren't even spamming first round picks. I mean, the Lions, you know, spent three first round picks in a row on wide receivers. Uh, the Eagles got, I think the Eagles got pretty damn close too. There's been a couple teams that have done that. None of them can attest to having this sort of game changing talent. So credit to the Steelers for developing one great wide receiver after another we will see if Pickens will be that guy pal don't think it'll be in 2020 imagine the
1: Steelers room when the when the Patriots make their receiver picks do you think they're just all (laughs) rolling around on the floor going what the fuck just absolutely yeah they're like they just took Tyquan Thornton like what you know it's almost like the Sean McVay thing with Cole Strange you know and he wasn't trying to be a prick but it's (laughs) like we thought he'd be there at 100 and we wasted our time watching him Pick number 53, Indianapolis Colts select
0: wide receiver Alec Pierce adding to their depth chart. Very thin. We knew they were going to add a wide receiver, just weren't exactly sure when. Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, Ashton Doolin, and Kiki Cootie. Thinking Pierce is going to slide into that kind of same wide receiver five, wide receiver six range, guys that we aren't really going to be overly invested in. Maybe you take a shot on him in the double digit rounds, just not someone that is probably going to carve out a number one, even number two pass game role in this offense. What I'm interested in, Dwayne, is how the Colts view him because Paris Campbell, when he came out of Ohio State, the big knock on him was that he wasn't this downfield uh, vertical threat. I think only like one of his career touchdowns had come on a pass thrown at least 20 yards downfield. Was the Dwayne Haskins? RIP, uh just pop passes to Paris Campbell, making a ton of plays. He was a high school running back. But when he got to the Colts, they were adamant from day one that Paris Campbell was more than that, and they viewed him as a complete number one wide receiver. I'll be keeping a sharp eye out on everything, but mostly on how what Frank Reich is saying about Alec Pierce, because you know from our PFF draft, draft guide, a vertical tree specialist, 6'3", though, 211 pounds, had 13 deep receptions, but Mike Runner noted that goes, slants, and posts were 63% of his receiving yards goes in slants, you know, two of the things that you're going to see most often at the NFL level. So Dwayne, when you see Alec Pierce, do you see a one dimensional field stretcher or do you see someone that was used that way in college and maybe has a ceiling for much more at the next level?
1: You know, I think it's a tough one, you know, to answer. And he is a player that I did go, I went back and watched, you know, just because I didn't know, you don't always know with these guys, um, you know, based on the way they're getting used in college, could they do more and based on when their targets are coming. So it's like, you have to kind of watch some of the plays where they're not being targeted. And, and so with Pierce, though, I still walked away like being kind of – I just wasn't really that high on him, you know. And, I mean, the 2.18 yards per route run, you know, that really bothered me. That's only 44th percentile um, going back to, you know, any player that we have at least three years of data on, which would go back to 2017. Um, so everybody that's come out into the draft since then – and not even just draft, like these all these receivers. Like he's he's doesn't profile that well. Now, he has he did have an explosive target rate of 25%. Which puts him in the seventy first seventy first percentile, which is not bad. So it does feel like it matches up, right, um, with what we're hearing, you know, from the scouting community and folks, is that he really is more of that vertical guy. Um, I didn't see enough, like, on the film. And again, I'm not a film expert like some of these other guys, but I didn't see enough to make me think, wow, yeah, he can really do all of these other things. So I mean, okay. we'd have to, I, I, you know, what? I wish I would have checked like Jetpack Galileo or some of these other guys. You know, I know we got like, time. Wallman, we got time too. A little bit on Pierce, but. Yeah, I'm just not that excited about it. I do think he'll probably, he has a good shot to start on the outside. And I think Campbell's going to play inside in the slot. That's fair. I do wonder could we see, he's got
0: better draft capital, but like we saw this last year with uh, Josh Palmer, for example, came into the Chargers. Third round pick, we all kind of, I think, thought he might be starting there from day one, but we overlooked Jalen Guyton, who, not spectacular, but an incumbent starter, someone that they relied on. I do wonder if Ashton Doolin could be that guy for the Colts, where, yeah, it looks like Alec Pierce, probably their hopeful long-term replacement for T.Y. Hilton as their field stretcher. I know T.Y. was way more than that throughout his career, but just in the Michael Pittman kind of era, this wide receiver room, that's how they were using Hilton, so yeah, Campbell probably more so in the slot, and that suits him better. I would still probably say Dwayne. God, you know, God forbid the injury gods just give us one good year. Of Paris Campbell. I would probably still expect Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell to lead the way in this passing game. But hey, maybe Pierce has a sort of you know fancy friendly deep ball targets to actually win out over Campbell. Either way, this offense is going through Jonathan Taylor more times, more simulations than not. Michael Pittman is the only wide receiver we really we really want to worry about here.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I just I just plugged his uh, draft capital into the supermodel um, and pick fifty three, he gets a two point seven one. The max you can get is a four, um, and so really like most of the really good prospects um, that we get excited about, and I start listing them off. You're like, oh, I like that name, I like that name. <laughs> they're they're right at three or above. Like there's some two point nines that are really good. So I mean he's on he's on the cusp, but he's really with a lot of names that we wouldn't be. Unfortunately, just really expecting, as you
0: can see, projected dropback percentage This Colts offense to, again, be awfully run heavy. Matt Ryan's an upgrade from Carson Wentz. We know that, but volume is volume. Probably not going to be a lot of it for Alec Pierce in 2022. Exciting pick time, 54 Kansas City Chiefs, wide receiver Sky Moore, someone that PFF had as a top 30 selection on the big board, Kansas City Chiefs, man. One pick after another, you know, we all know resident, uh, you know, mathematician at PFF, Eric Eager loves his Chiefs. I think he's always talking to people, you know, surrounding that organization, maybe in there and one picked after another, the Chiefs were like taking just the best remaining player on the PFF big board. So makes you wonder, Dwayne, uh, what exactly they're looking at there on the web browser. Uh, Maybe we can get a hack on that. But anyway, with Sky Moore enters a depth chart. MVS, Juju Smith-Schuster, Mecole Hardman, Josh Gordon. It's unclear if you need to have a hyphen in your name to start in Kansas City. Certainly seems to help, but I think Sky Moore should be able to overcome that. The question, Dwayne, how much can we expect from Sky Moore? A lot of things we talked about with Christian Watson and this Packers and Chiefs offense. We've come back to a similar, like, all right, the most, if we had to guess in Kansas City, how many wide receivers are going to clear a 1,000 yards. I would probably say zero. I think Travis Kelsey will. But if I had to go with the rest of these guys, man, we could legitimately see more of a four wide receiver rotation between MVS, Juju, and Mecole Hardman. Sky Moore is not going to be just a slot receiver. The Chiefs have never used just a single, at least in the last Mahomes era. They've always rotated these guys all over the field. Usually Tyreek was their starting slot, but even then it was like a 40% slot rate and then just splitting time on the other sides. And again, man, I... I'm buying Sky Moore as the highest upside of this group. I think it's going to be harder to rank him as more than like a top 50, top 45 wide receiver though, because like who's to say that he's going to be featured ahead of
1: these other guys that they've invested in. Yeah. The beauty is you're probably going to be able to get him in the ninth or 10th round, maybe 11th rounds of your draft. He's probably going to go somewhere in that range, um, especially in sharper drafts. And you're going to want exposure to Sky Moore at, at that range. Let's start with him as the player. Um, I just put him into the supermodel. He gets a 3.00. So he passes the threshold that we want. And when you look at Skymore, 22 years old, the draft capital saw a little less than actually what we thought it was going to be. He slid a little further, but it worked out because he lands with the chiefs, but his best dominator season, 41% uh, career yards per route run, 2.92. So these are all dark blue. I I think you're going to pull it up here. And then when you look at his landing spot, you know, you've got um, the team's highest ADP is a 66, which we know is Juju Smith Schuster. Obviously you have Travis Kelsey, Going um earlier than that, he's the number one tight end off the board. Um, but but there's not as much competition at wide receiver, even based on ADP and what people think. Um if you look at the team projected plays, gonna be in the top five. You drop look at the drop back rate, top five, and it's the number two QB off the board as far as ADP goes. So, like he lights up the board blue more than anybody on our board right now. So, yeah, yeah. I absolutely love Sky Moore for 2022 Doesn't mean he's the number one dynasty prospect but I think it does make him potentially you know the biggest surprise you know for the season So we've talked about Sky Moore, talked about his situation, but now let's just talk about Juju real quick. Juju Smith-Schuster has been on a complete downhill slide since his breakout season in 2018, where he had a 2.08 yards per route run. Next season drops to 1.49. Next year, 1.29. Last year, only played five games, 0.88 yards per route run. And then if you look at his targets per route run, same thing, 24%, down to 18% and 19%, and then down to 17%. He does not look like the same player the last two years. Exactly. Like he, all He's, those stats, and with your own damn eyes. And with your own damn eyes, which is why he got nothing in the market. Two years in a row, the market was dry for Juju Smith-Schuster. So I, I get it. Juju is only going to be 26 years old in the season. He'll be he'll he'll only be 25.8 when the season starts. He's still a young player, but I think people are holding on to that a little bit too much. Um, I don't really want. I'll get some exposure to Juju because he is on the Chiefs. You know, if he sticks around where he's going, my guess is he's going to slip a little bit with Sky Moore getting drafted to that team. But, like, I just, again, Sky Moore is the player I'd rather make the bet on. Like, when you look at Marquise Valdez-Scantling, I'm not going to pull up and give you guys all his data, but it's very similar. And he's already played with Aaron Rodgers. He's already had a chance to be the number two. And he's not, he's not even done what Juju's done from a yards-per-route run or targets-per-route run. And so, look, typically these players that move that all of a sudden we want to give them like and be, and be like, oh, look at all this opportunity that's going to come to them. They've usually flashed in these underlying metrics where we've kind of isolated the fact that maybe they didn't get on the field. We took that away and said, well, maybe you were behind other good players. And so let's just look, let's just only grade you on when you were on the field. And neither one of these players over the last three years have really done what they need to do to get us that excited. So look at the draft capital for more. Look at how well his production profile looks. Look at how well he just, he ticks every box for us. I'm going to draft Sky Moore, like, all the damn time. Like, he might be my Jalen Waddle of this year. Jalen Waddle was on over half of my teams last year. Sky Moore will most likely be on over half of my team this
0: season. There were six first-round wide receivers before the draft. Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, Jameson Williams, in some order were all considered the clear-cut top five. I think they still deserve that, Dwayne, now knowing the landing spots. Is Sky Moore the wide receiver six now ahead of guys like Jahan Dotson and Christian Watson who even boasts better draft capital?
1: I, I think for this season... For this season, yes. For this season, Sky Moore is my wide receiver three in this class. It's Trey Burks, wow. Drake London, Sky Moore.
0: Wow. We're going over Garrett, over Alave, over Jameson. The James, more I
1: say it, the more for, it makes sense. For 2022, man, I'm, I'm not telling people to do that for Dynasty. I think in dy- you know, if you look at Dynasty... Those other guys are going to score higher, um, and, and they should. They should, and they've got the draft capital. But if you're just looking at 2022, um, look, and it's not like we're just putting more here just because of the landing spot. That's why I co- covered, like, his production profile and his yeah. college stuff first. He stands out on his own there, yeah. and now he also got the landing spot. The only thing you can really downgrade more for is he did play against lesser competition, and so I think the NFL already did that. That's why he got taken in the second round, and he still grades out really good. So, like, if I look at where he grades out near these other guys, like, Drake London's a 3.38, and Sky Moore's a 3.0. I mean, yeah, that's when it, it's a scale of one, of zero to four, like, that's a decent amount. Um, but just looking at 2022, like, once you get past that, like, he's really close with Garrett Wilson and Olave, Like, they're, they're essentially, like, .05 from each other. So it's like, I would much rather take Sky Moore. Burks and London, best chance out of these guys to be their offense's
0: number one pass game option. The problem we run into, and we talked about this last night, reviewing round one, Alave, Garrett, and Jameson, man, these aren't completely empty offenses. So when we take away the like, you know, because you would think that someone's getting drafted 12th overall or something, you're probably going to have a higher target ceiling than someone like Sky Moore going to 50s. Doesn't really apply. So if we're projecting similar targets and now we have Patrick Mahomes, it's just easy at that point. So happy to talk through that. And if, if we can get someone with that profile, the chance to be Patrick Mahomes is number one wide receiver priced as a wide receiver in four and fantasy definition of buying someone closer to their floor than their ceiling. Like we've done the Miko Hartman thing, man. We've even done the MBS thing and we've seen Juju over the last two years. Let's go get us some sky more. Unfortunately, Probably not going to be getting us some Trey McBride at least in twenty twenty two with the fifty fifth overall pick Arizona Cardinals took uh, the consensus top tight end in the class in Trey McBride. I don't know why Dwayne. Good, you got Kyler Murray another weapon, I guess. But how are you getting these guys out there? Are we going to start seeing you know McBride and Ertz playing tackle, and we're going to have all these like different
1: eligible player formations going on? Because I, I think I think we would love it so much more if they hadn't re signed Wesley, re signed <sighs> AJ Green. You know, I mean, I think we'd even be fine with Ertz, Rondell Moore, Hollywood and DeAndre and then saying, OK, you know, McBride becomes a nice little thing. They, we wouldn't use him, obviously, for this season in fantasy. But yeah. But look, injuries happen. So this is more just good news for Kyler. Not, not that tight ends usually make Dude, but they, of a uh I'm sorry to cut you
0: off, but they already kind of they made those equivalent. A.J. Green and Antoine Wesley's signings at tight end already. They re-signed Max Williams, who, you know, tore his ACL four or five weeks into last year. He was their every-down tight end, and they felt the need to trade for Ertz. Then they give Ertz the $30 million deal, and they even brought in Steven Anderson from the Chargers, who was carving out a role in the you know their committee with uh, uh, Jared Cook and um, Donald Parham last year. So, my God, man, like... Even if Ertz goes down, like it's not necessarily a guarantee McBride's going to be the next man up. I think he's good enough to be that guy. The future is bright. But this Ertz contract, man, I was looking at it. They would need to trade Ertz after June 1st next year to get out of it before, because otherwise they're eating 10 plus million in dead cap money. So like they can't release him Really? It'd be six million with the post June first cut, but that's a lot. This Ertz contract is not that easy to get out of. I'm not sure they want to get out of it. It's Dallas Goddard all over again. And it's exactly who Trey McBride was comp to. Like this is a great number two tight end on a team. That's not going to feed him enough targets for us to care about him in fantasy.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Cardinals do use twelve personnel, like as almost as much as any other team. They're kind of an interesting. But that's still team. like twenty percent they... or something. I'm not going to talk anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but my point being, like, he's going to have a chance to get on the field. He'll have a chance to flash. He's not someone you're going to use in your fantasy lineup. So the point being, like, we'll get some more information on Trey McBride like this season. But he's just not a guy you're going to mess with in redraft. But he's the number one tight end, you know, for dynasty. I mean, easily. Yeah. Um, he would've it wouldn't have mattered where he landed. Like he was gonna get that grade no matter what. Always
0: had the number one there, two through five was what was up for debate. So yeah, we'll see what happens with McBride. It's a he's a good football player. It's all this is all good news for Kyler Murray. I'm sure Aaron Rodgers is looking at the moves the Cardinals have made and just, you know, cursing cursing yeah. them and himself out. He's like, Can I rent like two of those guys? Yeah, <laughs> like please. So, yeah. He'd probably take AJ Green and Antoine Wesley uh, at this point. So Pick number 63, the third running back off the board. Buffalo Bills select James Cook out of Georgia. Def chart now. Devin Singletary, Zach Moss. My guy, Duke Johnson, holding on by a thread, Dwayne. Not not so sure we're going to be there by the time week one comes along, but a man can dream with James Cook. I think the main question, man, is there a true workhorse role on the table? Because we've seen this with Josh Allen. It's really hard for him to enable a uh, fantasy-relevant RB1. Every single year of his career, we've seen him improve as a real-life passer. He's an incredible real-life quarterback, incredible fantasy quarterback. Stephon Diggs has been great. John Brown, Cole Beasley, even Emmanuel Sanders for stretches. Gabriel Davis, the wide receivers are fine. Dawson Knox puts up a big year. But the running back, man, really not until the end of 2020 With Devin Singletary having that every down roll, did we see someone really put forward consistent RB1 production? And you can look at the two reasons why. Josh Allen steals goal line touchdowns. He is 10th overall in rushing touchdowns since entering the league. He has 31 on the Bills since 2018. and second place is Devin Singletary with 11. And then running back targets. You think Josh Allen has time for checking the ball down? He's freaking scrambling and hurdling dudes. He doesn't give a shit about that. 28th in total running back targets with Josh Allen since 2018. Last season, tied for 25th at 87. I worry with James Cook that we're looking at the player where all the, you know, real life draft analysts say, look at this chess piece the Bills have. They can use them out wide. They can get him matched up on linebackers in the pass game and just exploit that. Cool things that maybe you have a two or three play highlight clip to show. And we saw James Cook do that in the Michigan game, you know, burning dudes on the outside, big ass run against Alabama in the national championship. But is there going to be enough volume there, Dwayne? Because the draft capital is great, but I'm not so sure Cook is actually going to be taking over this backfield.
1: Yeah, I think the draft capital is great. And you just have to look at Cook as you're taking, um, you know, a potential flex player, maybe, but with contingent value to be an RB2. Best case, maybe becomes an RB1, but most likely an RB2 if Singletary goes down. And he's still probably going to have to split time. Like, it's not just going to be a situation where all of a sudden it's just going to be Cook on the field. And and so I think, you know, we'll we'll have to see what they do with their depth chart. You know, they've got several guys sitting there right now. They're probably going to have to cut somebody, you know, before, uh, you know, before they break camp. So we'll we'll see what that looks like. But that's the way I'm going to treat Cook. Um, To your point, it's like, I guess the other positive is, like, we're not real big on Dawson Knox he's basically living off the volume of the offense. We love Stefan Diggs. We have questions on Gabriel Davis. Definitely got a bump, you know, this weekend yep. by avoiding, you know, a wide receiver, uh, a big wide receiver name going to the bill. Huge man. Yeah. It's big for, for Gabe Davis. Um, and so now feel free draft him at a sixth round. <laughs> like, it, you know, and it probably isn't going to go up. That's why we said, just no. wait. Um, But I think there is potentially room for another playmaker to get involved. But to your point, like to feel good enough about using Cook all the time, it would mean an injury to Singletary, right? And him being able to be out there enough. My guess is right now Singletary is going to be more of the early down back, and they're going to put James Cook out there on passing downs. And to your point, like we've seen these guys get out there on passing downs in the past and where that was really their main role. We saw it with Matt Breida. We've seen and we've seen it. God, who's the other name I'm forgetting? I can't remember right now. Well, actually, Singletary at one point was the passing down guy when when Zach oh, who was, was getting the third, getting early down. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Breida, he had a couple of flashes, right? We saw some big games. I think you could see that thing out of that kind of thing out of James Cook, and we definitely think James Cook's better than Matt Breida. But you're never going to be able to predict it. Like so, I mean, yeah, you could put, throw him out there if you're in best ball. Um, you know, you could take him towards in. You know, I don't know. He's probably going to be going higher than this, but I would think, like, round oh. 10, 9, I'd feel fine about taking a swing occasionally on Cook. Like, well, I'll have to think about that one, you know, some more, but my guess is he's going to push maybe, I don't know, that's probably about where he'll end up, it'd be my guess, because people are still going to think is going to be involved. But to your point, like, I like the player, love the offense, love the quarterback, but I worry that, like, there's just too many things that have to go right for him to really, produce and and the biggest thing being probably an injury to one of the other you know running backs
0: tj eldon that was the name yeah, yeah shout out jd mckissick was rb 39 in my ranks like Naeem hines 47 james that's white he 49 goes. he fits somewhere in that tier
1: it's just you can put him at the top of that one just saying hey maybe he has more upside um you know we want to take a shot on him but i think that's i think you're in the right range of where he goes the Bills, I mean, we do
0: see them, and similar to what I was saying before, I want to speak out of both sides of my mouth, like they use more four and five wide than almost anyone other than the Cardinals, albeit it's like the two tight end stuff where it's just not that high of a percentage anyway, but maybe their futuristic offense is having more of a full-time scat back at running back like a James Cook where, yeah, he's only going to get eight carries a game because they're not going to run the ball enough anyway, He does have higher draft capital than Singletary or Moss, but I think ultimately, like, even if Singletary gets hurt, we're probably not seeing them give him that featured role, and that's the question you want to be asking, you know, in these later rounds of the draft, you know, round 9, round 10, how many injuries away is this running back from getting an RB1, RB2 level role, and for someone like JD McKissick, James Cook, it's multiple. For someone like, you know, a... Let's see, uh, Ronald Jones, uh, James Robinson, if he's healthy. Melvin Gordon, it's a lot less. So just something to keep in mind where we love the receiving.
1: He's fine in that range because, like, a profile we talk about a lot to people, especially for PPR or even half point, you want a receiving profile and an explosive playmaker. He checks both of those boxes. You know, he can catch the ball. 19% of his um, rushes, you know, over his career went for 10 yards or more, which was third best in this class. Number one was Kennedy Brooks. Second was Pierre Strong, and first was James Cook. So, I mean, he checks off two boxes we like, and he's in a really good offense. So I think there are paths, definitely, for James Cook to being valuable. I just think that my guess is is I want to see what happens with his ADP. I want to see how how, how excited are people going to get about James Cook. You know, if he's going in the range we've been talking about, I think I'll probably be even to the field on exposure. to to getting James Cook on my rosters. I don't think it'll be something where I'll be going out of my way to get him, maybe slightly above. But if he starts creeping up, you know, in seventh round, sixth round, like, mm, I'm just not going to be feeling that one again.
0: Girl Scouts there, Ramondre Stevenson or James Cook? (laughs) Uh... I kind of think Cook
1: I do too, because of the receiving profile. And we know for sure New England is going to use three backs no matter what, even if they have to sign like you off the street the week before the game, <laughs> like you're still going to get snaps. Um, whereas, and, and you know, you could probably make that argument for Buffalo at this point too, after the last three years. But uh, I think I do slightly. Need to cook. And like, but that's the right range we, again. Like, And
0: ago. we're completely, you know, I want to be careful that we don't completely dismiss the idea that he can be mm-hmm. an early down back type. Just because he you weighs 10 pounds.
1: With
0: that. <laughs> yeah, just because he weighs 10 pounds less than the ideal threshold we'd like to mark. I mean, who's to say we won't get a report in early August like, oh, James Cook is up eight pounds since the Bills weighed him last because he's been working out with professional trainers. I'm sure Georgia was doing just fine with that, but just something to keep in mind there. Now, Dwayne, for the main event, the one that you wanted to rant about. Pick number 71, the Chicago Bears got Justin Fields, a wide receiver, too. I don't even know if he's going to be a wide receiver, too. Shout out Byron Pringle. Vilas Jones Jr. Might have mispronounced it, but, man, like, come on. Who the hell is this guy at this point? Like, career-high marks of 62 catches, 870 yards, 7 scores in 2021. Was okay against man coverage, but, my God, Dwayne, He turns 25 on May 11th, officially and legally allowed to rent an RV at that point. It could have been any, like, oh my gosh, any other wide receiver going to Chicago that we've talked about, I think we could at least say something good about their perspective. But I saw your write-up for the guy and you didn't even give him, like, wide, I gave him, like, a wide receiver seven rank, which indicates he's not going to get drafted. Like, you just straight up threw that one out there.
1: Yeah, I just said undrafted. (laughs) Look, man, what are the Bears doing? Justin Fields needs help. Like, get your shit together. This guy is 25 years old, a 2.05 career yards per route run. Sucks. 20% explosive target rate. He ran fast. Guess what? It doesn't show up on the field. Best dominator, 23%, despite, you know, getting to play until, you you know, he's got his AARP card. Like, I mean, come on. Like, what the hell is going on? I do not get it. Yes, there are targets available. Do I think this guy's going to earn any of them? No, I don't. I don't think this guy's going to do anything. I mean, if you want to take him at the very... I would not take this player in best ball because he has busts <laughs> written all over him and you don't just want to immediately give away um, one of your roster spots. If you're in a deep league and you're a Bears fan and you're like, F you, Dwayne, I got to take him. Fine, but make sure it's something where you can drop his ass and then go pick up somebody else. Like, I okay, But like, I'm not touching him in Dynasty. I'm not touching him in any format. I want nothing to do... With Velas Jones, there's just nothing about the pro look, nothing about his profile. Even once you put the draft capital in, like the hit rate on this type of player is terrible. It's almost zero percent. Like, so there's just no reason to mess with him. Maybe the most damning thing you can say about a wide receiver. I don't even want him in best ball. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Well, I think there's a misnomer. We'll talk about that later. But with, I think people waste too many roster spots with best ball and you can't adjust later. So I think, yeah. I think there's a little bit of a misnomer, but yeah, it is bad. Like, I think the worst thing is when you say I wouldn't even take him in dynasty, like in a, in a, in a format where like, you don't even have to drop anybody. You can just leave him down there forever. Like eh, I don't even want him. I don't even want to give this. I mean, if you try to give the guy like two or three years, you know, to get better, like he's going to be 75 years old. So I, mean, I don't know what you're <laughs> doing.
0: Pick number 73, Indianapolis Colts tight end, Jelani Woods. I'm taking responsibility for this because I have spoken this into existence over the last two weeks. I saw, you know, shout out the 2021 mock draft extraordinaire, Josh Norris. He was trying to say Jelani Woods somewhere, and I said, no, we need him to get to Mo Alley Cox. I tweeted Mo Alley Cox and Jelani Woods on the same team, or we riot, and everyone, we don't have to riot. Now, is this good for fantasy? Absolutely not. But we now have the two largest tight ends I've ever seen with my own two eyes in the same offense at the same time. And I cannot wait to see our guy, Jetpack Galileo, just completely, you know, Photoshopping the shit (laughs) out of these two dudes. Like Jonathan Taylor is going to be getting 10 yards before contact running behind the two largest individuals in the NFL. Unfortunately, Dwayne, like my big takeaway here, because look, rookie tight ends, you know, I've said this stat a million times. I'll say it a million more. Only Evan Ingram and Kyle Pitts have done it over the last 10 years. Top 12 production as rookies. Only Gronk, if you want to go back to 2010. That's not on the table for Jelani Woods. He's going to be in a three tight end committee in all likelihood with Mo Cox and also their uh, second year tight end, Kylen Granson. The question, Dwayne, is Mo Cox even worth a late round dart at this point? Because, yeah, they gave him that three year, 17 million dollar deal. But adding someone like Jelani Woods at the early parts of the third round, I don't think he's going to be sitting on the bench. And man, we cannot live with three tight end committees. Two, barely. Three, absolutely not. Yeah, and it's a
1: team that loves those. So, yeah, I don't, yeah Mo Alley-Cox, I'm, I'm not as interested. And he was already like a really late round, to your point, dart throw. Just not going to throw that dart, you know, as often now. But um, maybe Jelani Woods can end up being something in the future. Um, you know, I, I do like his size. I like the fact that he finally got an opportunity to – and this might have to be careful with some of these players. Like if, if Jelani Woods had came out last year, like we wouldn't even know who he was. Like, but, he, but he played this next season, you know, really got used in a better fashion, and so now here he is, you know, getting drafted in the third round. So congratulations to Jelani Woods. Excited for him. But, yeah, not excited about the Indianapolis Colts and having to sort through this rotation at tight end. And a run-heavy offense. No, no, you're good.
0: I got lights going on and off in my room without my uh... – Clicking it. I don't know. We got some ghost spirits emerging <laughs> at 110 a.m. in the Harden's uh, household. So wasn't trying to say anything bad about Jelani and Moelle Cox. Maybe that's a sign, Dwayne. You never know. Pick number 74, Atlanta Falcons took quarterback Desmond Ritter. Second QB off the board took this damn long. death chart now consists of Marcus Mariota. Preseason all-star, not really, but he had a really long run. One time, Felipe, Felipe Franks and also Desmond Ritter. Man, is Ritter going to be the week one starter, Dwayne? Because I don't, here's the thing. It's a good question in terms of like, okay, what's the Falcons real life perspective going to be? But I was looking at Ritter. He runs a four, five, two, 40 yard dash. He averaged a respectable 43.6 rush yards per game, but you watch him play and you're like, okay, he's not really this Malik Willis caliber, even Jalen hurts guys. Someone that's going to use their legs for a fantasy friendly purpose. And he kind of reminded me of Marcus Mariota like that. Also someone that was really athletic and was able to put up some big numbers in college, but ultimately didn't quite give us that true dual threat floor. Basically, even if Redder gets that week one starting job, do we really give a shit in fantasy land? Because let's face it, he doesn't have many avenues to go with the football. With all due respect to youngins, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, and of course, Auden Tate.
1: Like if, you're a, if you play quarterback and you're not a first-round pick, basically, I'm, I'm not interested. Like I, I know there are hits. I know that we've got Dak and we've got Russ, I and mean, That's contracted. it, though. That's it. Yeah. I mean, well, we can go back to Brady. You can go. I mean, if you go rookie year, rookie year hits though. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Brady. It took an injury to to Bledsoe, but yeah, it's it's just not worth messing with. You know, if you're in a redraft and all of a sudden like he blows up like a, you know, Prescott didn't even really blow up, right, in his rookie year. Like it was, it was good. Low end QB one. Because no one, because no nobody expected it. But you can pick him up off the waiver right? wire. There's, there's really no reason, and in best ball, especially if you're drafting right now, you're not going to know which guy, so I'm just not really messing with it. I'm not touching the Falcons quarterback, and even once we eventually know, which I think it will be Mariota to start the year. We are talking yeah. about a third-round quarterback. Um, at some point, Ritter probably gets a shot You know, this year. We just don't know when it's going to be, so it's going to have to be something more where we're thinking about it on, like, this is a waiver-wire type situation happening. Yeah. That's what it comes
0: down to. Even if we knew Ritter was going to be the QB one, he's probably not cracking the top 24 quarterbacks we're looking at in redraft. Does him going as a second QB have have him as a top three quarterback, though, for you in Dynasty? Because we'll talk about Malik Willis a little bit in a minute. But Kenny Pickett, obviously, getting the round one draft capital, he's certainly going to be in the top three. But the top five, man, was kind of up for grabs. We did see Matt Corral go later. Ritter at 74, enough for you to have him top three.
1: Uh, I mean, they're all so close together. The draft capital is not going to make a big difference because, like, just once you leave the first round, it's such a huge cliff. I mean, because we had Ritter go at 74, Willis went at 86, only 12 picks later, and then you've got Corral at 94. So they're all going to grade pretty similar um, because we're further down in the draft. So uh, I think, honestly, it comes down to your preference on those three players, not worrying about the draft capital. They're all, you know, they're just all so close together. Um, I do, I think that, you know, with Ritter, like there is that chance, you know, I mean, he's got a very clear path, you know, obviously to be in the starter. Like Malik Willis just got Ryan Tannehill in front of you. Um, Matt Corral, uh, as Corral has is, is got just as, you know, he's obviously got a path too, right, with Sam Darnold in front. So they both have a situation where the quarterbacks in front of them aren't great. And we should know something pretty quick. So at least with Ritter, And with Corral, you're going to know sooner rather than later. Malik Willis is definitely going to have the higher ceiling, but you may have to wait a bit. Next up,
0: the Denver Broncos. Pick number 80 took tight end Greg Dolchich. Man, this is not good, Dwayne. And we've been pretty fair throughout the offseason cycle, I think, of doing a good job not overreacting to some of these secondary signings, but also knowing when there is a secondary signing that could take a perceived full-time player down into more of a committee. This might be one of those, because when the Broncos, they threw Noah Fant in that trade to Seattle, all the hype was there for Alberto. And there was no reason not to be hyped about the guy. Both of us had him inside our top 12. Some people were even going top 10 with it. Only free agency signing worth a damn. Eric Tomlinson, career block, first tight end, just $1.4 million, $1 million deal. No problems at all. This is not great, though, because if you start looking into Greg Dolchich a little bit, no, we're not expecting Greg to do anything on his own in 2022. That's going to be a fancy, viable role. But the guy is a receiver playing tight end, essentially. I mean, PFF's Mike Renner was saying that ideally you could be using Greg on the outside or in the slot lined up as a true receiver. But Denver is already so damn loaded at the position that they're not going to really be worrying about that. So you look at Albert O'Doain. One time in two years, as he played even more than 60% of the offensive snaps, it's going to be a big leap of faith all of a sudden to take him as a top 12 tight end. I would say that my difference with Albert O is he is no longer someone I'm prioritizing in that tier. I don't think you need to drop him to tight end 20 or anything ridiculous like that. But all of a sudden, Albert O versus Dawson Knox, Pat Fryer with Irv Smith, even like Mike Jasicki and Logan Thomas, I think there's a lot of fair questions here because I'm just more convinced than some of these other guys, even like a Tyler. Like, why take the chance on Albert Is The upside really that alluring to take a chance on a guy that we might sit there the first Sunday night after week one and be like, he's a part-time player. Why not just take Irv Smith, Tyler Higby? We know a full-time role is in there. In a passing game, that's probably going to be just as productive.
1: I'm still projecting Albert O for a full time role. I mean, it's a third round tight end. And, and yes, he is a receiving tight end, but we see this sort of tight end get taken all the time. And man, half of them never do anything over half of them. And so with Albert O, the way it, here's the thing. I'm looking at Albert O as the player um, and I'm focusing on him like 2.28 yards per outrun, 1.94 yards per outrun in 2020 and 21 targets per out run, 28% and 24%. Those numbers match what you saw from Kelsey from Grom, from the true elites. Hardly anybody puts up these numbers. Yes, it was on limited, you know, on, a, on limited snap count, but that's the beauty of per-route-run type metrics, right? All we care about is, well, you were on the field. What'd you do? You kicked ass. That's what you did. And so, for me, I still keep, I'm still i keeping Alberto in a tier above all the players um, that wow. you just named. Um, I'm definitely not moving him down. It's a third-round tight end. I, and, and, and you've talked about tight ends before, how long it takes them and how mostly even first-round tight ends don't do anything. So... With Dulcich, I'm just – I don't like the pick. Like, I think the Denver Broncos wasted their pick. And that's nothing against Dulcich. He may be a fine player, but I feel like they had other things that they could have addressed rather than worrying about this. Now, again, teams want depth. If Albert O goes down and they really like him, do they have a receiving tight end? The answer right now is no. They've got Tomlinson. So maybe their plan right now is just let this guy sit behind him – Dulcich is definitely not enough to scare me off of Albert O. I do hope, though, that it is enough for others to get worried about him and push his ADP down. I would love that. Okay.
0: I think you could rank him as the tight end 10, and I wouldn't, like, book a plane ticket to Texas to beat when your You start ass. looking
1: at the players below him. Like, like the, the name you name that I like the most that's below him is Irv Smith. Um, yes. You know, I do yes. like Herb. You know, I'm a home yes. for Irv. So, it's like, I, I'm, I'm on board with that. But Albert O is still shown way more. Than, Ir- than Irv, you know, in the time he's got to be on the field. So, Albert O, man, I just, man, the upside is still so huge. Like, you just, if you do hit on Albert O, and, and there's a chance you don't, but, man, the ceiling is just so freaking sky high with the guys that he compares to. So, I love the dude. Hopefully,
0: ADP goes down, yeah. and then we don't have to worry about it. Okay. Let's you, pump it talk- up.
1: We'll, we'll push it down. We'll push it down. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about else this being the end of Albert O. <laughs>
0: It could easily, and you know, one of the notes I made down here, like, look, with the Raiders, I mean, they have Darren Waller and Foster Moreau, and what happens? Like, we know Moreau can do some good things, but it's Darren Waller's show. He plays all the time anyway. Moreau's a true backup. Maybe that is the thing with Dolchich. I mean, he is not polished. I mean, he's not going to be stealing run snaps away. So from that perspective, maybe it is a positive. We'll see how that shakes out in Denver. And now the man that we some people had going number 2 overall at least you know this time a couple months ago 86 overall pick now Tennessee Titans quarterback Malik Willis joins the depth chart Thank God they drafted a high quarterback. Like, I know he's probably not going to start this year, but Ryan Tannehill, the fact that Logan Woodside was the Titans' backup quarterback for the last two years was one of the biggest, like, team malpractices that never bit them in the ass because they got lucky that Tannehill didn't get hurt. But I watched Logan Woodside in the AAF. He was a mediocre (laughs) spring league quarterback. And when I saw, like, I would make these... Backup quarterback rankings and I'd always had the Titans and usually the Rams like dead last. And Logan Woodside was exactly why. Also got Kevin Hogan there, who I won't say anything uh, mean about there. Sorry if the Woodside family's tuning in here at 120 in the morning. But Dwayne, here's the question, Malik Willis. You brought it up hit rate of quarterbacks drafted outside the first round is not good. I think a lot of the allure for Malik Willis was the thought that he was being treated as a first-round quarterback. I mean, side note, NFL, they they did Malik Willis and Matt Corral bad by letting them go into that green room because both guys apparently had enough assurance that they were going to be picked in the first round to be there all weekend. Like, we all remember, like, 2005 when Aaron Rodgers was awkwardly sitting there until, like, pick 25. This dude just went 86. Like, it's just... And you can say, oh, he's going to be making X amount of dollars and he's a pro quarterback. You know, hard, worst things have happened to people in life. I get it. But, you know, maybe don't tell you the know quarterback.
1: But people that say that, like, put yourself in his shoes. You would feel yeah. like shit. Exactly. It, it, it would so. bother you, too. And if you say that it wouldn't, you, I'm sorry, you're a liar. You're lying. <laughs> that would bother right. any human being. And so like, don't take pleasure in it, man. Like, give the guy a break. I felt terrible for him. Like, yeah, he's he's going to still have a good life. He's going to have a chance to be an NFL quarterback. But I still, like, that sucks, man, seeing somebody sit there and having to go through that. Uh, and look, might he grow for it? Might he be better from it? Yeah, maybe this adversity, maybe he can channel his inner Aaron Rodgers. But, like, some of the stuff that was going on, you know, that people, I'm just like, come on, y'all. Like, give it. A, imagine if that was your son yeah, sitting there. Exactly. Like, you would feel bad. Malik
0: Willis, we're not expecting him to start this year. Ryan Tannehill is still... At worst, an average quarterback, I think more times than not above average quarterback. Bad divisional round against the Bengals, fresh in our memory. Aside, things are looking good, though, potentially being in 2023 and beyond. Dwayne Willis, perfectly great streaming potential, similar to Jalen Hurts as a rookie, I think, where if there is a situation where the Titans aren't competitive and the year comes around they decide to see what malik willis has he'll be in that top 15 discussion from day one just because any quarterback that runs the ball 10 plus times on a weekly basis is in that discussion let's talk dynasty though is the change in draft capital between kenny pickett and malik willis enough for you to take pickett over willis even knowing that if both guys are starting in the same week we would definitely want willis at least in the year 2022
1: yeah, yeah, and I think that's the great point. You, know, you mentioned that earlier when we were in our DMs and the chats, and and you're right. Like if I think right now though, we talked about it. You're drafted in the first round or you're not. <laughs> so right now, like I would lean to Kenny Pickett. But if someone wanted to go with Willis because of what you just said, I, I agree. Like if all of a sudden, uh, you know, we looked up in week three and Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis were both starting, and we were playing DFS. Like the guy everyone would flock to would be Willis, not Kenny Pickett. Right. I mean, that's just the way that it goes because of the rushing upside. Having said that, like, look, I just don't want to touch any of these quarterbacks and dynasty and yeah. redraft. I don't want to deal with any of them. You know, I mean, I think there are positives we can talk about in each one of their games. Um, you know, Willis is probably going to really slide. And if you can throw him on a taxi squad, that's fine. If you're in a super flex, you're going to like him You know, even more. Um, but these were guys that even before the NFL draft happened, I was saying, I'm not taking these guys in the top five, even in a super flex, you know, <laughs> even if they went in the first round. So now that they haven't gone in the first round, I'm definitely not touching them there. Um, but Willis is going to just really need some things to break his way now. Like he's going to really, he's going to, he's going to have to defy odds to end up becoming, you know, a real fantasy asset. It kind of reminds me of, remember when everyone liked Deshaun Kaiser and he ended up going in the second round, Yeah. you know, I mean, it, he reminds me of that kind of, uh, of a trajectory Um, and it's not to say Malik Willis can't ever do it. Like I'm definitely not saying that it's just going to have to be something you're just going to have to be patient with him. So I I think it's a personal decision. I, I think if you're looking at odds, Kenny Pickett has a better chance because he has the draft capital. What does draft capital mean, even if the player is not better than the other player? It means the team invested in you. That means you get more chances to screw up and you get to stay on the field. And you get a longer time to prove yourself. Unless your name is Josh Rosen. That's the one exception one exception to the rule. But for the most part, guys like that get more chances. And so that's the challenge Malik Willis is going to have. Um, he's not going to get the same type of opportunities that Kenny Pickett's going to get.
0: I uh, I recently, I love just surfing around on YouTube at night. Like, I don't even watch, like, TV shows that much by myself. I just go from YouTube video to YouTube video. And the old Twitter troll account, I think he got suspended too many times. He might be out. But remember Barry McOchaner, the dude that would always be, you know, putting his pro Avi as Schefter and all that. Anyway, he's got a YouTube page where he actually, like, produces some productive stuff. And one of it was, like, Good games by terrible quarterbacks, and he was going through and guys like Drew Locke, like they actually would have like a random three touchdown game here or there, and like actually impress. And he got to Josh Rosen, and it was like one hundred seventy five yards, like two touchdown game. And he's like, I he's like, I swear to God, I went through all these games, and this is honestly the best we could do. Actually, put them in a position to win one, so we, no one can take that one game away from you, Josh Rosen, I guess. Dwayne, our Dallas Cowboys pick number eighty eight. I am a fan. 57th player on the PFF big board, nice value, wide receiver Jalen Tolbert joins a wide receiver depth chart consisting of CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, James Washington, and Noah Brown. Will Tolbert be the number three wide receiver? James Washington's deal, only one year, $1.2 million. Did a great job stretching the field. Now, hasn't faced a Power 5 opponent since 2019. Similar problems as Sky Moore. But in terms of what Tolbert was able to do against the level of competition he faced, all good things. And I will say, this Cowboys offense, I think they've been lacking this sort of, you know, player type. I'm not saying Tolbert's gonna be this great field stretcher, but we got CeeDee Lamb, we got Gallup. They do need someone on the outside that has the ability to actually put some fear in that defense going deep. Maybe Tolbert can be that guy I'm thinking that he deserves a little bit more of a boost, like at least over these like Taekwon Thompson types and these like oh, Dale sure. Robinsons of the world. I'm not saying that Tolbert's going to be, you know, cracking the top five, top six even, but someone that I think, I mean, based on this landing spot, how can you not be a little bit excited about what Tolbert could bring to
1: the table? Yeah, I, I do like it. Um, we also have a chance that Michael Gallup starts slow, right? I mean, you've got a late season ACL tear. Um, so, and, and he, the surgery was done late. Um, so I, I just think there's a there there are a lot of paths here. One, you've got the offense that has run the most plays per game over the last two seasons in regulation play, excluding overtime because we can't predict overtime. Like a lot of that comes down to luck. So if you look at the Cowboys, they run a lot of plays. They're not super pass heavy, but they're they're pass balanced, right? So and they're they're willing to run a lot of eleven personnel. So I think there's just a lot of ways um, really for Tolbert to get on the field, and I, I would say he's the favorite, in my opinion, to be on the field with yeah. James Washington. Um, especially if they want to kick him inside in the slot. But that's not all he does. He played outside. Of CD, ball, plenty CD of... slot, baby. Let's go. Yeah, and CD can kick inside. I think this is a team that you'll honestly see all the guys rotate around in the slot. I think you'll see a similar thing in the Steelers. You know, you get certain offenses, offenses, where nobody plays over 40% in the slot. Like, everybody just kind of moves around. I think you can do the same thing with the Cowboys. It also is good for Dak, right? Dak gets another weapon. It also is a little bit of insulation if Michael Gallup starts slow or if you get an injury to C.D. Lamb. Now, with James Washington and Tolbert in the mix, I think you can feel good that Dak's still going to at least be able to put up some points, you know, with the guys that he gets to put out there. But, yeah, looking at Tolbert, man, I love it. Like, the only thing, he's a little older. But unlike guys like Christian Watson, um, who, who we like, we were fine with, his breakout age was still 20.5, you know, as, as a sophomore. So he'll be 23 and a half this year when the season starts, he was 22 and a half as a senior this past season. Um, But career yards per route, run, solid, but the explosive play rate is right there. It's good. So, I mean, he's not dark. He's not like dark blues across the board, lighting up the entire uh, red and uh, blue Christmas tree, Ian. Um, But it's, it's, it's solid. It's really good. So I do like Tolbert and I think that there's, you know, a lot of opportunity for him to be on the field enough to give you spike weeks, but have contingent value to even be worth more potentially if someone else on the team. It's the type of offense we love. We love to invest in. One of my top five
0: favorite picks of the draft, not in terms of like who's going to be ranked the highest again. He's not even going to be a top five rookie wide receiver moving forward, but just in terms of like, look at Jalen Turbert as someone, Tolbert, that could have gone round four. could have been a day three guy, but no, he gets the, you know, day two capital. He goes to a team with an open spot and three wide receiver sets. And also just so happens to have a pretty damn good quarterback and loves throwing the football around. So it might not be in 2022, but Damn Dwayne, you know, he's at least going to be someone that hopefully has a sort of raw participation that, you know, uh, DFS tournaments and, you know, showdown slates and stuff like that. Wouldn't yeah. be shocked if he puts together a big performance or two. Pick number 91, Tampa Bay Buccaneers took running back Rashad White out of Arizona State. Depth chart now includes Leonard Fournette, Giovanni Bernard, and Keyshawn Vaughn. What type of impact does this have on Leonard Fournette, Dwayne? Because the Buccaneers handed him a three-year, $21 million contract. He's at least going to be a starting running back in 2022, probably 2023. We've talked before about Fournette really taking over that pass-down job from Giovanni Bernard even before Gio got injured last year. Is White really going to be making that much noise right now? To me, he seems like the preferred handcuff of the group, but even that's not guaranteed, man. We've seen them use third-round capital on Keyshawn Vaughn before and basically ignore the dude for two years. I agree that White's a better prospect than Vaughn. I mean, hell, this dude was a PFF's uh, sixth-highest-grade rusher and you know fifth-highest, or I think just the highest-grade receiving running back uh, last year. So the guy can do it all, but they already have Fournette who can do it all. So overall expectations on White, and does it change? your overall thought of Leonard Fournette as a top 10 fantasy back it gives me just
1: what gives me a slight pause for Fournette is every back pretty much that they brought in in the pre-draft process was a receiving back they also brought in James Cook I want to say they visited with Tyler Beatty so a lot of these guys had that receiving profile and they also brought back Geo so I feel like they're still toying around with the idea in that they want to get They want to get Lenny some rest. They don't want him out there all the time. But I don't think it necessarily means that, oh, my God, he's just going to lose all the passing downs, right? I I don't know that it's going to be that clear cut. So I still feel good about Fournette. I will say that, like, if Fournette continues to creep up boards, like we were all over it when he was in the fourth round, he's now in the third round. If he snuck up to, like, the mid-second... I would probably be, you know, that would give me more pause on Fournette because I do think there's enough question now, and he is an older back. Now, he's, he's below the threshold of the touches that we worry about. I would still get some exposure to Fournette there, but the opportunity costs, right? Now you're looking at, you know, you could take Stefan Diggs sometimes and make a sit there. You know, you got Debo Samuel, you know, slipping down. board. Well, Debo actually, you know, slip to the end of the second round sometimes now. But yeah. I think there are just the opportunity costs – changes the dynamic where you're probably going to want maybe some even exposure or slightly less in the field to Fournette if he if he sneaks that high. If he stays in, like, the mid-third, I'm still fine with Fournette. I'm not going to let this this worry me. But as far as Rashad White goes, he is definitely the preferred handcuff. You know, yeah. 134 uh, yards per game, you know, is, is one of the best in the class. Now, it's the best in the class, but look, Brees Hall is better. Brees Hall was doing this from the time he was a freshman. When you look at Rashad, Rashad, Rashad White, you know, 23.7 years old, he was a JUCO transfer, really his first year at Arizona state. You can't blame him. He didn't play a lot. Well, it was cause COVID, you know, they didn't play that many games. And so really we only have one year. And so that 134 is a really good number, but you have to understand it's on a very small sample size. Uh, but yeah, a great receiver out of the backfield. So I feel like if I had to pick a, a guy on that team that if, if Fournette went down, he could do it all. I think it is going to be, you know, Rashad White. And if, if, If one of them is to carve out enough of a role that we're like, oh, man, this guy might be able to fill in, give me flex value, you know, a week or two, it's probably going to be, you know, Rashad White. So I think he's a guy that he's going to become very popular in drafts. You're going to see him going between like rounds eight and 11. Um, The dynasty community is pretty big on Rashad White. Dynasty, this is fantastic news. I think
0: he definitely deserves to be in anyone's top five running backs at this point because look at that competition. It's Leonard Fournette on his second contract and Giovanni Bernard, who could retire after the season. and No one would think twice. And then Keyshawn Vaughn, who has had every opportunity to maybe seize a role in this backfield, hasn't done it just yet. So Rashad White, maybe as soon as 2023, big things could be on the way. San Francisco 49ers with the pick number 93. Took running back Tyrion Davis-Price. Shout out to Eric Froton from Roto World. He came on this podcast. I asked him who this year's Elijah Mitchell could be. He gave me Tyrion Davis-Price. And he was and like he kind to of 49ers. A lot and of he Mitchell goes to the 49ers. <laughs> And, like, he was wrong from the standpoint. Like, he was trying to give me someone that he didn't think was going to be drafted. And Tyrion Davis-Price was on no one's, like, consensus top 10, top 15. Uh, but, yeah, ends up being a third-round pick and goes to the very same team. So, shout-out, Eric. The dude is a master of his craft, and it's a great day to be great. Yeah. You know, he's just chilling in San Diego, lucky son of a bitch. But, anyway, looking at the step chart now, Tyrion Davis-Price, Elijah Mitchell, Jeff Wilson, Jermichael Hasty, Trey Sermon, the calling card for T.D. P PFF's number one graded pass blocker at LSU. How do we feel about Elijah Mitchell's stranglehold, Dwayne? We gotta wonder if Debo's gonna be there involved as well. This doesn't give me a ton of pause. I'm kind of thinking he could be almost an upgrade for like Wilson Hasty, not necessarily taking too much early down work for Elijah Mitchell. But then again, who the hell knows we gotta do this every damn year with Kyle Shanahan? Why does he keep doing this to us, Dwayne?
1: Yeah, um I don't know. But it, it's enough to bother you. But he does. He he likes to pile up the running backs. Um, my biggest concern, you know, with Price is he doesn't do any of the things that we've historically seen Kyle Shanahan want from his backs. Like he's not explosive. Clear his career explosive rush rates only twelve percent. His career avoided tackles uh, per attempt seventeen percent. I mean, so he's just, you know, and we're talking about Kenneth Walker being at thirty three percent. You know, um, he never really had a huge season as far as total of the team, you know, yards. 33% is not bad, but it wasn't, like, a huge season. So, career yards per game, 55. Now, he played in a really good program where you got a lot of other good backs. So, we usually give guys a little bit of a break whenever they're facing that kind of situation. Um, So, with Davis Price, like, I don't know. Like, like I like him in Dynasty. Look, if you're in Dynasty, and once you get to rounds three and four and five in your rookie drafts, like, you just have to pile these kind of guys up right? Because, you know, eventually their days, their day could come because of injuries and things like that. And you're going to be able to plug them into your RB two. And so that's really the way I look at Tyrion Davis price. I don't, I don't have like a real strong opinion about him taking over any certain role in the 49ers backfield um, this year. Look, we all know how good the 49ers backfield can be. And that's what makes this, this, this situation like so maddening is because we know how good it can be. We want to be right about it and we want to have an opinion but at the end of the day, dude, I don't know how to speak Kyle Shanahan. I don't know. I, I've, I've I've, given up. The way I look at it is I'm going to try to get exposure to all these guys, you know, where I can. And, and Davis Price, you know, he'll be going later. Um, obviously, you know, you'll still – Elijah Mitchell. What do you think this does to Elijah Mitchell's, you know, value overall? Like, I – I don't think it moves it all that much, honestly.
0: I think he'll—he's st- not going to move up. I-, I think he stays as like a low end RB two. I like that.
1: If this keeps yeah. Elijah Mitchell where he's at and he doesn't move up, I feel pretty good about it. But are you each time you take Elijah Mitchell, like because you got to take him in the fifth round right now? Like, how do you feel about? Is this enough to kind of make you feel a little bit more? It's not great. <laughs> I, did not, I did not see this coming. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I will yeah, say this. Great. Like, <laughs> I, was, I, I plan on having a piece out on PFF.com the next day or two about like, the biggest veteran winners from the draft. Mitchell's not going to be on there. And if they had gone literally, you know, another 10 picks and not taken a running back, he would have been on there because it was a situation where Jimmy G is still a member of the 49ers. Like, maybe it's not even Trey Lance. Maybe Debo Samuel does get traded. And then all of a sudden, all, you know, cards are turning up. Elijah Mitchell, but You know, you don't use a top 100 pick on a guy without having some sort of role in mind. Now, we did see that happen to Trey Sermon last year, and apparently there really wasn't a role in mind. But, you know, Dwayne, I just made a note to myself about an article for later this offseason to try to actually go back and check and see if this common, you know, phrase we use is right. But what do we always say in New England in a backfield we don't know what's going on? Take the cheapest one available. Last year, that was Elijah Mitchell, and it worked out pretty well. Maybe this year, Tyrion davis Price. I don't know. Uh, luckily slash not luckily, we have a hell of a lot more months and time to uh, beat our freaking brains against the wall about this 49ers backfield. Thanks
1: a lot, Kyle. Like, what the <laughs> f- definitely worth a late round flyer. I mean, we've seen what can happen.
0: We have five more. Everyone, thank you for sticking in with us. 94th pick, Carolina Panthers quarterback Matt Corral. Dwayne, it's the same thing with Ritter, man. It'd be so much easier to write off these third-round... Like, with Malik Willis, we know he's not going to do anything in 2022 because the Titans brought him in to be Tannehill's backup for this year. But with Matt and Desmond Ritter, they are the rare third-round quarterback that could feasibly start... By week one, only Sam Darnold and P.J. Walker in on this depth chart right now. But also, like Desmond Ritter, I look at Matt Corral, and even if we knew he was going to be the week one starting quarterback, which doesn't seem likely to be, you know, something that we know until August, maybe even early September. I just don't know how much he's giving us in fantasy land. He's going to be right there with the Carson Wentz's, the Matt Ryan's of the world. And when we're looking at a Panthers offense, like yeah, I like McCaffrey, I like D.J. Moore, but as we saw last year with Sam freaking Darnold himself, just you're in a decent offensive environment doesn't mean that's necessarily going to guide you to fantasy success so I don't you know the play calling you know now we got to deal with that I don't think that's going to be better the offensive line still has a lot of holes Matt Corral man I think the answer is probably no the biggest win for Matt Corral is trying to prove the Panthers he is the answer of the future and they actually stay away from this 2023 quarterback class so I guess we'll know sooner rather than later nothing
1: to see here as far as redraft um I think you can make a case in Dynasty, you know, you put Corral um, where you want to place him. You know, we've already talked about Pickett, you know, and Willis. But he does have, you know, he's got a capability to, to maneuver in the pocket. He's got a capability to add on the ground. So there are things that we like, but it's the third-round capital. So I think the biggest plus is that Sam Darnold is terrible. Um, and so <laughs> there's, a, there's a chance Matt Corral ends up on the field, like, sooner rather than later um, so from a dynasty perspective, you know, if you want to, if you want to spend a pick later in your draft, I mean, fine. You want to put him on a taxi squad, go ahead. But again, not another player I'm that excited about just third round. Like there's just other ways I would, I'm, I'm going to be spending my draft capital other ways, but you know, your roster construction better than Ian and I do. And so I could definitely see cases where you may want to take a, a shot on a guy like Corral.
0: This one pissed me off. Pick number 98, Washington commanders, Alabama running back, Brian Robinson. Adding to a depth chart already consisting of Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Jarrett Patterson, Brian Robinson, Dynasty. Okay, Antonio Gibson only guaranteed to be their probable starting running back for two more years, but even then, man, like once you start looking three, four years down the line at Dynasty, maybe you're already doing a little too much thinking to begin with. So Robinson, one of these guys. I don't think he himself is going to have a fantasy viable role. Like I, I was, I tweeted something out, and people were saying like, I'm going to have a bunch of shares to Robinson this year. I don't know, man, because even once, even if Gibson gets hurt, I should say, now all of a sudden Robinson seemingly will beat out undrafted free agent Jarrett Patterson. I don't think he has a big stranglehold or anything in that backfield. But even then, we still have J.D. McKissick giving the same damn problem. I don't want to take a handcuff with any level of fantasy draft capital that needs two injuries before him to actually crack, you know, the top 15, top 20 fantasy running backs. The big problem, Dwayne, is what this does to Antonio Gibson. We can't look past those six fumbles from last year. We talked about how annoying JD McKissick was. We talked about Antonio Gibson having the shin injury, playing through the pain. We probably didn't talk enough about Antonio Gibson not being a good running back last year. And, you know, again, PFF mathematician Eric Eager showed a lot of good data. He was basically analyzing how running backs perform when everything went perfect. Five out of five offensive linemen did their job, perfectly executed run play. Number one in the league was Jonathan Taylor. And, you know, people that watch him play probably could have come to that, Antonio Gibson was one of the worst running backs in the league based on that metric. So I don't think they use a top 100 pick on Robinson to make him a special teamer or to take Jarrett Patterson's complete backup role joint Ju- backup role. Uh, Dwayne Gibson is someone that I think we kind of keep pushing down and try not to draft. I'm not on. touching
1: him. Antonio Gibson season yep. is over. It never got to start, un- unfortunately, <sighs> but it's over. Um, I need whiskey for yeah, this conversation. Uh, look, I mean, it's the kind of profile we look for, uh, receiving profile, explosive player. Um, but, you know, he has struggled a bit, like to really make a transition to being a back. Now, again, like he was a receiver, just really a receiver two years ago, like which is crazy. So, I mean, like how far he's already come, I think is pretty amazing. Um, but Brian, Roberts, Brian Robinson is a really good inside zone runner. Um, Washington runs outside and inside zone. Um, but, man, missed tackles fourth. Forced on inside zone, 33% most in the class. Yards after contact, 3.7. That's the fifth best in the class. And an explosion Ooh. rate of 15% on inside zone, which inside zone is hard to be explosive on. Like, you don't see as many explosive plays. And, and you know, Robinson is not as good at outside zone. Not as good on, on power and traps and things like that, which you would think he'd be better on. Uh, but he was really good on inside zone and Washington uses plenty of that. So I like Brian Robinson. I think it is going to be a committee. I think everything else though, that you said, like is spot on, it's like, you know, how many injuries does Brian Robinson need to be relevant? You know, in 2022, he needs two. he needs Antonio Gibson and JD McKissick to be out of the way. And you're still dealing with an offense that we're not that crazy about. So it's kind of a tight needle to be trying to thread. I think it's still fine. You can take swings on Robinson. If you're in dynasty, I definitely am taking some swings on Robinson because now over the next two to three seasons, you, you definitely could get to a situation where, Oh, all of a sudden he is the only guy, you know, sitting there. I think your odds increase because you're stretching it out over a longer period of time. So I think the landing spot from a schematic standpoint is good. Um, You know, who knows if Ron Rivera and Scott Turner can make it another year past this one, if they suck again, though. Ron Rivera just keeps taking uh, his guys
0: with Gibson. Good Look, we weren't overly high on him to begin with. I mean, everyone's just kind of like, oh, you know, you see these fantasy tweets that really go viral. It's just like Antonio Gibson's like going to be the RB1 in 2023. There's no further like explanation given, and people are just kind of getting behind it. Why wouldn't he be? Well, J.D. McKissick was always a reason why he wasn't going to be. With that said, Dwayne still had him as an RB20 before all this happened. He's going to be outside the top 24. I mean, at this point, guys like Josh Jacobs, even – Maybe you're most hated, not personally, but Miles Sanders, man, like that's what we're talking about with Antonio yep, Gibson. That's what man. we're talking like about, Miles Sanders. And that,
1: you know, I don't, I don't know how that the public's going to react quick enough. I think there's a chance that, yeah. that Gibson continues to be overrated. I, I think his ADP is definitely going to take a dip. My guess is it's not going to drop enough. He's going to he's going to fall into that dead zone, um, and, and folks are going to yeah. still keep taking him. And, and we're fine with the age and the profile overall, but you know, three is a crowd, man. Three's a freaking crowd in the backfield, especially on a, on a subpar offense. Cleveland
0: Browns wide receiver David Bell out of Purdue, someone that we've talked about on this podcast as checking a lot of the box, Dwayne, you know, when I pull up your, you know, handy dandy uh, utilization report stuff that we have on our draft tracker, we're going to see a lot of blue goodness there at the same time, athletic profile, just not good. And when we look at the landing spot, not the greatest thing ever. Could emerge as the wide receiver too here. I mean, only Amari Cooper is ingrained as a starter definitively right now. But we do have Donovan Peoples-Jones. He's been there doing things. I think he's actually been pretty solid. Anthony Schwartz, same third-round draft capital. Even Jakeem Grant actually got a low-key, pretty solid contract uh, in free agency. I think that's more so for being a return specialist, but it's another piece of the puzzle is the wide receiver two in Cleveland even worth our time, though? Because last year, my God, they couldn't even produce one fancy relevant wide receiver. And I know that bringing in Deshaun Watson is a good thing, but once again, Dwayne, we have no idea what the suspension is going to look like. I don't want to compare sports or anything, and I don't want to compare crimes, but like I don't think anyone had any idea that Trevor Bauer was looking at two years for what he just did as well. So it really wouldn't shock me if the NFL gives Watson like an entire season. At a minimum, six to eight games seems to be on the table. So knowing that we're not getting Watson, man. Because like David Bell, if you look at the wide receivers we've talked about, the rookies, like in terms of just pass game options, he has as good of a chance to be a number two guy as a lot of these dudes that have higher draft capital. With the situation, though, being a run-first offense and likely not having a large chunk of Watson, probably will be selling more times than not for Bell and redraft. And even Dynasty, I have, you know, a little bit of a trouble getting too high on the
1: guy. Yeah, I mean, his 30% Dominator breakout age of 19.7 is the best in class. So, like, his production profile is great. Um, And it's what keeps him, you know, it was hard to honestly, like, even as his draft capital continued falling, 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 and I would put in the new expected draft capital, like he, it was hard to push him out of tier two. It took like two months to push him out of tier two because like his profile really was so strong. And at the end of the day, 40 times were overrated. He ran a 4.65. It's not like we love it. It's not great. But the thing that cemented it for me that, that, you know, is why I had to kind of force him down a little bit anyway is just the 19 percent career explosive play rate. That's the 48th percentile um, It's 2 percent below um, the NFL or sorry, 3 percent below the NCAA average. And so once you have the 40 time and then it's also validated by, OK, he also is not making these explosive plays on the field. I think that was going to be limiting. And then it showed up in his draft capital because now we get a late third round pick, which is really not good for wide receivers. Um, I do think, you know, early on, I mean, he was a second round valuation, like after the combine, he legit fell, you know, a full, you know, a round and a half from where he was originally projecting. Had he gotten that second round capital, we would feel a little bit better about him. Um, I'm with you. I think, the, I think the depth chart is certainly overcomable. Donovan Peoples-Jones has not really done anything. But then I also think, well, Peoples-Jones can be more of a field stretcher. Bell can't, right? And so you got Amari Cooper on the other side. He's really more of a, a route runner going to work that intermediate underneath stuff. So like when I just think about their offense overall, it still make more. It still make may make more sense to have Amari and Donovan Peoples Jones out there in two wide receiver sets. You also have Anthony Schwartz who could battle him for slot reps, or um, you know Schwartz could be the field stretcher, right? If they did that, then maybe you could get him on the field. But I, I agree. I think he has a chance to go after that number two role. Uh, but then it's like, who's going to stretch the field? for the Browns like Sh-
0: Schwartz went higher than him yeah, last no, year did. I mean there's a chance Bell isn't that three wide receiver yeah no, I'm
1: I agree I think he could be number two I think he could be number four I think he could land anywhere in there look yeah. I think I think Bell is a way better player than Anthony Schwartz like their their, pro, their profiles yeah. aren't anywhere close Anthony Schwartz was fast that was it like there was nothing else about him he just got overdrafted because the NFL can be stupid Um, You know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, actually Donovan Peoples-Jones like profiles better than Anthony Schwartz. But I think really that's who he's got to overcome. But the big thing is what you're mentioning. Um, They like to run the ball. We don't know what's going to happen with the quarterback. Um, And then like they don't run 11 personnel hardly at all. They are one of the heaviest 12 personnel set teams. So if you can't lock down the number two role, which I don't even know how tactically that's going to make a ton of sense for them right now. Um, because they need someone out there to stretch the field unless you're just going to run in Joku on seams like every play. Um, I, I I feel like it's just there are a lot of different things that have to go right for Bell. So in Dynasty, I still like, i, I say he's a high-end wide receiver, too, in Dynasty. Um, you know, So if you want to take him at the beginning of the second round, the middle of the second round, I think that's fine. You can do that. But remember, these late third-round picks, even with strong production profiles, like they, they don't hit a lot because the NFL just doesn't always give these guys a chance to come around. Like The best role for him would have been if the Browns didn't already have Amari Cooper, right? Let this guy really be yeah. more of your underneath, intermediate guy. He can win the contested. He's not as good of a route runner as Amari, but he's a rugged player. Like if The best comp I would think of him, and again, like I'm not trying to go overboard here, but it was like Anquan Bolden. You know, an Anquan Bolden-esque type player, um, not necessarily at the greatest route runner, but like even when he's not open, he's open. And so even though he didn't run really fast, like he's already shown he can produce in college, he, he might be able to still do it at the NFL. I think the big challenge for him is tactically, how do the coaches make sense of getting him on the field? Because they need someone to stretch out the field for everyone else. And if he's out there, I don't know if they can do that.
0: Najoku, a low-key winner. We still got to worry about Harrison Bryant, but hey, at least unlike Mo Alley-Cox, we didn't have, you know, a day one or two tight end come join the party and make that back into what it was last year, which was a three tight end committee. Pick 101, the New York Jets took from the Ohio State University tight end Jeremy Ruckert. As you can see here, my key question is, what the fuck is your problem, Jets? (laughs) You have spent big money on CJ Uzoma. You spent big money on Tyler Conklin. We still got Kenny Yaboa there as well. Ruckert flashed Legit receiving ability at Ohio State, Dwayne, like he was being mocked consensusly as a number two tight end off the board. I think there were situations where he could have gone and actually been someone to not get behind this year, but in the future as a blocker and also a plus receiver at the position, no, not when we have Yuzoma and Conklin ahead on the depth chart. I'm not even going to throw it back to you. We don't need to give a shit about Jamie Ruckert this year and probably not for the next four. It's unfortunate, but you know what? He's going to be a run blocker for the Jets. Hopefully it makes their team better. And finally, pick 105, San Francisco 49ers took wide receiver Danny Gray, joins a depth chart consisting of Debo, Samuel Brandon Ayuk, Juwan Jennings, Ray-Ray McLeod, Marcus Johnson, and Keyshawn Johnson. Look, we, we know the number three wide receiver in San Fran isn't going to give us much because they're going to be behind Debo, Ayuk, George Kittle, and they're not even going to be out in the field for oftentimes even 50% of the snaps because of how much they use Kyle Juszczyk and thus, you know, those two uh, running back backfields. So is there any reason to believe Dwayne? Because like, for the Danny Gray pick, it was, to me it was similar to the George Pickens pick where I wasn't immediately like, oh my God, what are Gray and Pickens going to do? But it was like, Is this more of an indictment on Ayuk or perhaps Debo about what could happen? Because Danny Gray ended up himself. I'm not sure what his role is going to be for 2020. Yeah, this is
1: a head scratcher for me. Um, You know, it's not even a player that profiles that well. Um, Like, this is one of those where it's almost like, like, are they letting Shanahan hold the keys too much? Like, whenever they're making draft picks, (laughs) Um, you know, maybe they're worried about losing Debo and they felt that they needed to get someone and maybe Danny Gray was like the next guy, you know, in their tier. But I think there were plenty of guys that were just as good as Danny Gray. They didn't have to use this pick gone probably could have got tomorrow um so just not a player i'm very excited about um you know and and right now if Debo samuel stays i mean look like what's the path what's the path for this guy even you know how many injuries does he need to be relevant in a run heavy offense where we have questions about the quarterback i mean you got debo you got brandon i I think Juwan jennings is fine he might you got Juwan. you got uh kittle like danny gray doesn't matter sorry danny
0: and sorry to the gray family if they're tuning in. but everyone
1: that's going to wrap it up
0: i dwayne i don't know how we got through last night in under an hour i think that set like maybe unfair expectations in our in our mind. minds about what we could accomplish here Two but
1: yeah that's hey look at it we we we, <laughs> did, we, I not, did, we didn't how did not we put, put that together right? we didn't double our time so we're we're fine <laughs>
0: Look at that. I want to thank everyone for tuning in with us on the YouTube crowd. Very excited to be going live a little bit more often uh, now that I've, you know, only took me like two years of being a PFF to figure out how to hit an extra button or two, but looking forward to uh, getting a little more interactive and, uh, you know, showing you guys what's up. It's not like, Dwayne, it's not like we're doing multiple takes on shit anyway, so we might as well just <laughs> throw it out there, you know? Uh, <laughs> anything that you haven't said over the last hour 52 minutes you want to get yeah, off your chest, I know
1: people are tired of hearing us like I, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be coming back with more probably a zoom out view of this stuff like you know here in the next couple of days but uh, just glad for everybody that hung around with us and uh, you guys enjoy day three of the draft We
0: will not be back Saturday evening breaking down rounds four through seven. As I said before, the overwhelming majority of those guys are not going to matter. But the ones that do matter, we will tell you about them on Monday or Tuesday when we are back here. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.